Hello, YouTube watchers and podcast listeners. My name is Bobby Mitchell, and I welcome you to Movie Changeup, the show where we recast and pitch new versions of movies we love and movies we love to hate with a little added twist. Today, I will serve as both your host and judge of the two competitors. Before I introduce them, please help us out by subscribing to our channel on YouTube and liking our videos, as well as giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. If you're watching live, feel free to leave comments in the live chat, and we will follow along and respond as we go. Now, let's get to our competitors today. Our first competitor is coming off a narrow win over yours truly last week and is looking to keep his hot streak going. Please introduce yourself and let everyone know how you're feeling coming into this week. Yeah, my name is uh, Joe Fricky. I'm pretty hyped to defeat Johnny again for the second time because I'm 2-0. I beat Johnny, I beat Bobby, and I'm ready to beat Johnny twice. So let's go. All right, let's see how that goes. Um, and next, we have last week's unfair judge, in my opinion. And he just so happens to be my brother. Tell us who you are and if judging last week to help you out to form your pitches this week. My name is Johnny Dupe. Judging last week was fun. It was a nice change-up, not having to uh, write such obscure pitches uh, like we do this week. Um, but I'm ready to take uh, ready to take Joe down. He's got a Batman tank top. I got a Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse shirt. Bobby's got a Superman shirt. So we're representing superheroes apparently today. Hell yeah. yeah. All right. Now how this works is Joe and Johnny are going to go head-to-head pitching nine movie reboots with a, from a pre-selected list. And there are also nine rules they have to apply to each movie. One rule per movie, and they cannot use a rule more than once. The first to five points wins, and all nine rules and movies are also listed in the episode description if you want to follow along. Our nine movies today are Beverly Hills Ninja from 1997, X-Men from the year 2000, The Flintstones from 1994, Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954, RoboCop from 1987, Small Soldiers from 1998, Clue from 1985, Gremlins from 1984, and Battle Royale, also from the year 2000. For your rules today, we have, you must make one a Groundhog Day scenario, you must make one a romantic comedy, you have to pitch one as a 1970s movie, you must include a twist, you must cast a WWE Hall of Famer, you must make one a Wes Anderson movie, you must include Ace Ventura in one of your movies, you must resurrect a director's career, and you must change the gender of every character in one of your pitches. So uh, Johnny won the toss before the episode, so he's going to choose which movie we start with and who goes first. All right, I'm starting with the one Bobby said first. We're going with uh, one of my favorites from my childhood that probably doesn't hold up, but we're going to go with Beverly Hills Ninja, and I want to hear Joe's pitch first. All, All right, right, so before we get started, I'll give you a little rundown of Beverly Hills Ninja. Uh, the movie received a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is incredibly low based on my uh, you know, recollection of the movie. It was um, directed by Dennis Dugan. It stars Chris Farley, Chris Rock, Nicolette Sheridan, Robin Shu, and Nathan- Nathaniel Parker. Um, and the uh, plot goes as follows. When a young American boy washes ashore near a village populated by skilled Japanese warriors, they raise the child as one of them and instruct him in the ways of ninjutsu. Unfortunately, he grows up to be the overweight and inept but very enthusiastic Haru, played by Chris Farley, who remains intent on becoming a real ninja. Haru's first assignment, protecting a beautiful woman from California, doesn't go smoothly, since he's both uncoordinated and completely unaccustomed to Western culture. So let's see Joe's pitch. 
All right. Let me just say, I think the main problem with the first is that Chris Farley didn't look like he'd be a good ninja, and he wasn't a good ninja. The movie would work better if he looked like Bruce Lee but was a terrible ninja, or looked like Chris Farley but was a great ninja. And I decided to go with someone that looked like Chris Farley but was a great ninja. Obviously, you can't recast Farley in that role. I didn't even want to cast the next best thing. I cast the person that Farley was the next best thing to, John Belushi, because the rule I'm using as I am casting this as if it were a 1970s movie. My Haru is John Belushi. My Allison Page, the love interest, is Goldie Hawn. His adopted father and uh, mentor, Sensei, is played by, well, I needed someone who could train someone in martial arts, and who better than Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi himself, as Sensei. And for his adopted brother, Gobe, I decided in his first American role, Jackie Chan as Gobe. And then my villain is uh, none other, Martin Tanley is none other than Kurt Russell. So, uh, for my movie, Baby Haru is discovered by a school of ninjas. He is brought up and ra- Oh, and my director is John Landis, by the way. Uh, baby, and I set this movie in 1979 to be more specific. One year after uh, National Lampoon's Animal House, Baby Haru is discovered by a school of ninjas. He is brought up and raised by the school sensei because the prophecy told of a white child who would lead them all. Haru grew up to be the best ninja in the temple, even better than his best friend and brother Gobe. Uh, Allison Page comes to the temple seeking help. She wants protection from her boyfriend Martin Tanley, who is involved in illegal counterfeiting. Since she is the first white person he has ever seen, he is intrigued and wants to help, even though his adoptive father says no. Haru goes anyways and follows her to Beverly Hills, and his father sends Gobe, just in case. The comedy overall is about a fish out of water. It's a similar comedy style to something like that of Thor or Wonder Woman, where it's a capable fighter who is just in a very unfamiliar world. Over time, Haru and Allison fall in love. Haru uses his skills to defeat Tanley, and uh, he tells us at the end, he's, he tells his father he wants to stay in Beverly Hills for a while to be with his girlfriend. And that is my pitch for Beverly Hills Ninja. All right. Well, that is interesting. Now let's see what Johnny has to has to offer. Well, for the first time between Joe and I doing our, our rules, we've matched up the same one. Um, <clears throat> because mine comes out one year before Joe's. So his is just going to be a ripoff because mine comes out in 1978 and it's going to be directed by Mel Brooks uh, in the prime of his career in the seventies. Uh, my Haru uh, is going to be Gene Wilder. Um, my Gobe, I also cast Jackie Chan. So Joe and I are bringing Jackie Chan to America to have his first big role as Beverly Hills Ninja. My sensei is also Pat Morita. Um, <laughs> Joey, the obscure, like the friend that uh, Haru makes in California that kind of teaches him the culture is going to be Richard Pryor. That was originally Chris Rock in the actual Beverly Hills Ninja movie. Um, and uh, my Sally, the girl that comes to get his help, is Madeline Kahn. She was in Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, um, as well as, funny enough, Clue. Um, and then my villain is going to be Clivon Little, who was uh, the star of Blazing Saddles. Um, so my plot's pretty much the same as the movie and similar to Joe's. It's just kind of a different uh, tone um, and different depiction of it because we're going to make it a spoof movie 
of like all the big 70s martial arts films. That's when the big martial arts films because of um, Bruce Lee really took off. Like Enter the Dragon came out in the early 70s and a lot of big martial arts movies and um, all that were, was coming out. So I want to do a parody of those films because that's what um, that's what Mel Brooks was doing was making parodies of, you know, basically just genres of film. And we never got a martial arts one from him. So basically a clan of ninjas find a white baby and have an ancient scroll telling them of the great white savior. While the ninjas are away, Haru dresses up as a ninja while he's cleaning the dojo. He's approached by Sally telling him uh, she needs a help from a ninja to rescue her kidnapped brother in California. So he follows her to America. They go to Beverly Hills and, you know, same type of stuff as far as the movie goes setup wise. But we're going to have him in like in the finale. He's going to be in the Bruce Lee, like yellow jumpsuit. And it's going to be more of a spoof of like the classic you know, Bruce Lee movies and Chuck Norris movies from the time we're going to play off that more so. Um, cause I feel like that is a better tone for the, even the script of the original movie, it was just kind of a fish out of water comedy, but I felt that this story was better suited for a Mel Brooks style, um, spoof movie. Okay. So I, I like both of those. I have a couple of questions. Um, so for Joe, um, just because I can't quite remember who you cast in the Chris Rock role, who is going to play off of John Belushi in that fish out of water scenario to kind of uh, teach him the ropes? Yeah, I didn't write it down. I forgot. And I'm it's the guy. He was a black guy. He was the first like uh, black SNL cast member. I can look him up really. Oh, it's uh, Garrett Morris. Okay. Um, and then are you going to address at all? Because Johnny kind of did by making it a parody the whole kind of white savior kind of scenario going on in the movie. I addressed it by casting it in the seventies when people didn't care about that as much. If I made this movie in like 2020, I'd be like, I should probably address that. But in 1979, I don't think people were like worried about that. That's fair enough. And I was actually thinking the same thing. Um, so for, for Johnny, um, so is this mostly just going to be a parody movie? Are you, or are you going to tell its own story? It's going to tell its own story like Blazing Saddles, but it's not going to have like a crazy ending like that movie. Um, it's going to have a full plot that plays out um, of, you know, him rescuing the kidnapped daughter, becoming a ninja or whatever. He's never going to actually like be a competent ninja. He thinks he is, you know, he'll get into a fight and he'll think he's knocking people out. But it's really Jackie Chan because he follows uh, him to America to kind of watch over his like brother who always wanted to be a ninja. but was very bad at it. So it's um, it plays out like a full plot, but you're going to have more scenes that are, that are spoof scenes. It's going to be like a young Frankenstein blazing saddles type and not like space balls where it's just like a setup for jokes because that's where Mel Brooks was in his career at this point. This was right after um, like silent movie and high anxiety. And before he got into like Robin Hood men of tights and, and those other, there's other like kind of weirder ones that he did. Okay. Um, I don't have any more questions, but I'd like to see you two guys fight it out. So if you have anything to rebut, go ahead. I think my main thing with Johnny's is it's just like with being a spoof of samurai movies, it's, I feel like it's going to be a lot of the same joke over and over. I mean, not really because it'd be the same type of things. You'd think that about, you know, Westerns with, you know, all the classic Westerns, how really different are they? But Blazing Saddles, I think to this day, still is a great movie with plenty of different gags, you know, and it, it's funny because it kind of popularized even like 
fart jokes and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, Mel Brooks can find ways to put different types of jokes and small things into movies. So, and he has a lot of stuff to work with. Um, he'll have like the, it won't be like a straight parody of a scene from Enter the Dragon, but it'll have more nods to it where they'll be, you know, dressed like that in the yellow jumpsuit and the famous stuff like that. But it won't be just a straight up like, you know, like every scene is just a funny fight scene. You know, yeah. I think, I think too, like Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor are great and everything that they were in together. I think they were in just a couple of movies, but you know, hear no evil, see no evil or whatever they were in is really funny and they're great together. So I like their pairing more so than yours. I know as two SNL characters, but I don't know. We kind of got the best like couple people to, be you know with Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Blues Brothers I feel like you really got that chemistry of the two people going and yours is either going to feel very similar to that or they're just not going to click as well I feel if they do click it's magic it's another John Belushi movie you know we have we have a lot of pairings of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor how many you know straight up John Belushi movies do we have and I'm giving you another one yeah but yours just feels like I, I love Beverly Hills Ninja, the original, because I grew up with it. But you basically just took the exact same movie that came out and changed the cast to pretty much the same people. You did, I'll hand it to you, give it to a more capable director than like those other movies are, uh, you know, than the real Beverly Hills Ninja did. But you just, it's just going to feel like the same movie. And obviously no, it's I, 70s, I, I, so the other one doesn't exist yet. But J- Belushi doing... Haru is going to feel exactly the same as Chris Farley doing it. And I wanted to kind of change it up. Can I say I did change it up because I did make Haru a good ninja because I feel like that's more comedic than him just being a fat and a shitty ninja. It also makes it more white savior. Hold on. Um, I kind of have my judgment on this. Um, I was waiting to see if any of your arguments kind of swayed what I was thinking, but uh, I think I know what I'm doing. So as far as the cast, I think I actually like Joe's cast better. Um, I like John Belushi, and I love especially Kurt Russell. Um, But that was actually really close. That's kind of a toss-up. As far as the use of the rule is interesting, because you both use the same rule. So that kind of actually brings me to who you chose as the directors of the film and the tone you were giving in your pitch. So I think this movie is much better suited for a parody for a Mel Brooks kind of style, his comedy rather than trying to make a, you know, trying to make John Belushi a good ninja. Um, So in that way, it kind of breaks the tie. And I was, you know, waiting to see if there was anything in your arguments that swayed my decision, but I think I'm giving this one to Johnny. So, uh, um, yeah, can choose your your movie and who gets to go first in the next round all right so i think i think i'm gonna go with uh robocop and uh i'll go first okay let me get our description for this so robocop from 1987 was directed by paul verhoven and received a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes Um, It stars Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, Kurtwood Smith, and Miguel Fair, as well as others. Um, And the description goes as follows. 
In a violent, near-apocalyptic Detroit, evil corporation Omni Consumer Products wins a contract from from the city government to privatize the police force. To test their crime-eradicating contracts from or cyborgs, this company leads street cop Alex Murphy into an armed confrontation with crime lord Boddicker. So they use his body to support their untested RoboCop prototype. But when RoboCop learns of the company's nefarious plans, he turns on his masters. All right. So you said, uh, who's going first in this one? I'll go first. I'll go first. All right, Joe, let's hear your pitch. All right. So I'm going to say, to start with, uh, the rule I'm using is I am flipping the gender of every character. And based on the smile of Johnny's face, I think he used the same rule I did. Uh, We're just going to go 10 for 10 today, Joe. Nine for nine. nine for nine. Good math. So my, I hope we have the same cast, and I hope you did exactly what I did. Uh, so first of all, I'll just say my director is Patty Jenkins. Uh, my cast, my Alex Murphy taking over for Peter Weller is uh, Charlize Theron. And oh, I'll say my idea behind what I wanted to do with my cast was cast it like expendable style because it's mostly going to be women. I just packed it with as many female action stars as I could past and present. So my Lewis, who was uh, Alex's partner, was a woman in the original. Now it has to be a guy. I'm casting Pedro Pascal, who was in the Mandalorian Game of Thrones, and he's going to be in Wonder Woman 1984, which is also directed by Patty Jenkins. Um, my Jones, uh, who was played by uh, Ronnie Cox, who was the he- head of, I think it was OCP, uh, is going to now be played by Sigourney Weaver. My Boddicker, originally played by Kurtwood Smith, the gang leader, is now played by Uma Thurman. And Boddicker's right-hand woman is now played by Michelle Rodriguez. Morton, the creator of RoboCop, originally played by Miguel Ferrer, is now played by Gar- Karen Gillan, who is Nebula in the MCU. And she was also... Uh, in the new Jumanji movies. And my OCP board member, who, because one of the main plot points is RoboCop finds out that the he can't arrest OCP executives. And when he finds out OCP executives are doing wrong and they're actually working with the, the gangs, he tries to arrest him and he finds out he has a fourth directive that he can't arrest OCP executives. So at the end, he takes an OCP board member hostage and that OCP board member realizes what RoboCop is doing. That OCP board member fires Jones's character, which I now have as Sigourney Weaver. And that OCP board member in my movie is now played by Pam Greer, who is in a lot of black exploitation movies. And then there's a thing in the movie called the Cobra assault cannon that Boddicker runs around with and he shoots cars and he can blow stuff up with it. And Eventually, RoboCop steals it and uses it against Boddicker, but we don't ever see Boddicker buy it. Well, in my movie, we see Boddicker buy the Cobra Assault Cannon, and he's buying it from an arms dealer played by Linda Hamilton. Now, my plot is very similar to the first one. It deals slightly more with femininity and motherhood, but I liked how Patty Jenkins made Wonder Woman like feminine and badass, but she didn't do what James Cameron does a lot of times, which is basically write all of his women as men and then just essentially cast women. It's like they're feminine, but they're also badass. So that's why I went with Patty Jenkins. And then another main difference, kind of the setup for the movie is the city of Detroit wants to move more towards robot police because they don't have, because robots don't have the same prejudices as human cops. They can be impartial based on race, gender, and other factors. And so, yeah, that's my pitch for uh, RoboCop. 
All right. I'm not going to lie. I really liked that. So, Johnny, uh, let me know. All right. Um, Joe and I went with the same rule, but we did go with a different direction as far as cast and type of movie, I think, too. I mean, it's RoboCop, so it's still going to be more of a fun action movie. But mine is going to be more in the style of like a looper because I chose Ryan Johnson as my director um, for RoboCop. And I switched all of the genders, so we're calling it Lady RoboCop. And uh, my Murphy uh, slash RoboCop is going to be played by Emily Blunt. Her partner, Lewis, is going to be Lakeith Stanfield, uh, who worked with Ryan Johnson uh, just recently in Knives Out. Um, the old woman, we're calling her, because the old man is basically Dan O'Hare uh, he or whatever. He's like the CEO of the company. That's going to be played by Laura Dern, um, who is great in everything she does. Um, Donna Jones uh, is now my Dick Jones, who was originally Ronnie Cox. That's going to be Rebecca Ferguson. That's like the big, bad, um, you know, person who kind of takes over the company. My Boddicker is now going to be Claire Boddicker. That was originally Kurtwood Smith, but we're going to cast Jamie Lee Curtis, um, who also just worked with Ryan Johnson um, in Knives Out. And I liked her character in that, so I want to kind of see her play off that, but be a villain. I, uh, I, I would really like to see her work as that. And then my Bob Morton, originally played by Miguel Ferrer, is now Barbara Morton, and that's going to be Ana de Armas. Um, also, also Knives Out, but great in everything she did. I wanted to use a lot of the same cast because I feel like Ryan Johnson is someone who likes to bring in the same people um, that he's used before. And they're all people that fit with the with the characters, I feel. So my, my plot is less expendables. Um, it is very similar to the original movie with, the, with a few minor tweaks. So Barbara Morton is the head of the RoboCop program at OCP, um, a futuristic tech and AI company. She sells a team of executives she sells a team of executives on uh, OCP financing the police department because it's, it takes place in the dystopian future of Detroit and everything's kind of overrun by gangs. Um, this angers Donna Jones, whose pitch was laughed at in the meeting earlier. Um, and she's jealous of, um, of Barbara. Uh, it cuts to Murphy, uh, who's an undercover agent trying to take down a drug kingpin who has taken over the gangs in the city of Detroit. She is discovered and brutally injured by Claire Boddicker, Jamie Lee Curtis, and her gang. Murphy's partner, Lewis, Keith Stanfield, um, hears this over the wire and runs in, uh, but not in time because he finds Murphy dying in the abandoned warehouse. Murphy is in a coma. Uh, when the idea of RoboCop is introduced to the police, they revive her as RoboCop. RoboCop and Lewis must take down the drug kingpin Boddicker and the corrupt organization OCP, who is financing Boddicker's gang. We're going to kind of throw out that RoboCop can't arrest the OCP um, members uh, type of type of storyline and focus more on kind of the action and the relationship between the partners of Lakeith Stanfield and Emily Blunt's characters. And that's going to be Emily Blunt being more becoming more humanized because of Lakeith Stanfield's character rather than just like randomly getting kind of memories like the original one. And um, since it's Ryan Johnson, uh, you know, I feel like his weaponry and like the, the cool like guns and stuff he used in Looper work for like the, the assault weapon that Boddicker uses. Um, and at the end, I cast Rebecca Ferguson as Donna Jones because instead of at the end, when they go to the OCP corporation, instead of having a big fight with like a, stop motion robot like an original robocop donna jones is going to go into basically like a robocop style suit and they're going to fight each other 
that way. Um, and she's going to have like big cannons and stuff, but I feel like Rebecca Ferguson and Emily Blunt can actually do fight scenes. So I want them to just be robo type style, but have more to do and actually fight each other. So that's okay. my, my pitch. All right. So I'm not going to lie. I thought Joe won this from his pitch, but Johnny, I absolutely loved yours as well. So it is, it is very even right now. Um, so I have a, the same question for both of you. Um, the original RoboCop was rated R and made use of a lot of blood squibs. Um, are you going to yep. kind of keep that same tone? Yeah. Are you going to keep a very bloody R-rated movie? Or are you going to change that up? Mine's going to be more the tone of like a looper, like a darker futuristic movie um, that is violent, but it will use squibs because I, I agree. I think that's a super important part of RoboCop and like movies nowadays. I feel like CG doesn't do the justice like the squibs used to do. So like Murphy's death will still be just as violent with like the squib, you know, shotguns, but she's not going to die and be revived like the original one. She's going to be into a coma. Um, and then, yeah, but it will still be like, you know, more, more action, take the action of Looper and expand that further into a movie rather than like the relationship of, you know, some of the characters can kind of get to know each other. Okay. And Joe? Right. Yeah, I agree. Like real, bl- I mean, not real blood, but you know, like blood packs and whatnot. Not okay. CGI, bullshit blood. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, just really quick. I have a, one more question for each of you. So based on your directors, um, so Johnny, are you going to have any of the comedy that Ryan Johnson like to, likes to bring into his movies or is it going to be more like Looper, which kind of leaves that aside? I want it to be like, I keep using Looper as an example, but his movies, um, his movie with James McAvoy and stuff, like when he started his career, all of those I thought right. were really good. And I think his weakest part of his um, directing is his humor. So I do want to have like some quips, like Emily Blunt and Lakeith Stanfield are both charismatic and they can be funny together. There were some good one-liners in Knives Out, but I thought that actually needed more comedic moments and it didn't really have it. Um, but this movie doesn't really need those. And same thing in like the worst part of rise of Skywalker is any of the humor that he, that he tried. I thought I, I like not rise of Skywalker. Sorry. Last Jedi. Jedi. I I really like last Jedi. You know, now it's just like, I can't deal with those movies anymore, but I thought like the uh, basically space balls voicemail gag was, was kind of weak. And, and I think we agree on him throwing the lightsaber. Like maybe it's better if he just drops it. So I want to do more of like the, maybe the fun tone of some of those, but just not have like the straight jokes. Okay. And then Joe for yours. So Patty Jenkins and her two biggest movies, um, we have monster and wonder woman. Are you going to have any of the hopeful tone that wonder woman brings or more of the kind of down and depressing, you know, world that we live in as far as monster to bring into this Robocop movie? I think it's a little bit of a combo because you have like the down and depressing world of like the gangs in Detroit, but then you have that little bit of hopefulness as Murphy gains her humanity back throughout the movie. Okay. Let's have you guys fight it out. I got to still make my decision. Okay. Johnny, I have a question. What's the title of your movie? We're just going to call it RoboCop, but I want to call it Lady RoboCop. I was going to say, because you said Lady RoboCop, and I feel like the problem with all these gender flipped movies is they're like... They just call it Lady no, I did that because like, I, I don't know if they ever made it, but I, they were going to call the female reboot of Bloodsport Lady Bloodsport, and I thought that was a funny 
name. Uh, so I said that as yeah. an homage to to that, which is a very obscure yeah. reference. But because uh, I was gonna say, like, oh, the problem with a lot of these movies that are gender flipped is it's like, oh, it's like they're women, and uh, I just feel like that's the problem. Is like instead of just making it a movie with women, it's like them being women is one of the key parts. But if you're just calling it RoboCop, then. And not yeah. like Lady Robocop, then I feel like there's less emphasis on, oh, they're women, so that's somehow yeah. better. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm not actually going to call it that. Cause, okay. uh, like, like, and I think we both chose very good directors to do a movie like this that wouldn't make it super obvious. My biggest yeah. problem with yours, Joe, because it does sound like a fun movie, you basically pitched it more like kind of a female Expendables, but also RoboCop. I feel like yours is weakened by combining those two. I would love to see either or, but I don't want to like, I know it won't be big scenes, but I don't want to be distracted going into it thinking like, oh, this is like, you know, Lady Expendables and Linda Hamilton and all these people are going to be, you know, showing up in it. And then it's the story of RoboCop. So I'm like, yours to me would be better if it was just Patty Jenkins RoboCop movie. You didn't try to make it anything like the Expendables because the Expendables is a fun action franchise and whatever. So I feel like if you wanted to make your RoboCop like that, you should have chosen a different director. But if you wanted to make yours like a better straight up RoboCop Patty Jenkins style movie, you shouldn't have included anything like, like that and not kind of, it, it's not typecasting. It's like stunt casting. That's, that's what, like, I like all the people in your movie, but it feels more like stunt casting. And I feel like it would take people yeah. out of your movie more so than it should have. Yeah, I All right, I'm, I, I need to hear one more rebuttal from Joe, and then I think I'm ready to make my decision. Yeah, my thing with like with what Johnny said is, I still it wasn't like, oh, I cast like this, like I cast people that were right for their role, but they're also known as big action stars. It wasn't like I cast, oh, Sigourney Weaver's like in this movie. Let me find a spot for. Her. Oh, I need this big villain executive. Sigourney Weaver would be perfect for this. Oh, I need this like underling gang member. Michelle Rodriguez would be perfect for this. Oh, I need a fucking weird arms dealer. Linda Hamilton would be perfect for this. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, I have these, you know, big action stars. Let me find where they belong. It was like there were people I wanted in this movie that didn't make it in my movie because they didn't fit. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so this was this was close, but um as far as the casts go. I feel like Joe, if you switched Charlie Theron and Michelle Rodriguez, maybe I feel like that might have helped me because I think Rodriguez uh, plays that Robocop role a little better. Um, but both both casts were pretty even. Um, I liked both. Um, the pitches, you know, you both were pitching the same rule. Um, but the thing is, I think the tone for your pitches, based on the director that you chose. I think Johnny actually sold me better on a Ryan Johnson movie without his humor rather than a Patty Jenkins movie where I feel like, you know, Wonder Woman and Monster, something in between there doesn't quite work where a Ryan Johnson in the vein of Looper and Brick, um, I think that works perfectly for a Robocop movie. So I think Johnny's going to go up 2-0. Oh. All right. Oh, yes. I got to start. I got to have a strong start because uh, some of these might fall off a cliff. Uh, as far as my, my pitches go, but yeah, Joe, I, I like the idea with your cast of the expendables in that, but I, I would have liked that as like the female expendables movie. Yeah, I get that. I'm fighting an uphill battle here. I need, I need the one that, uh, my roommate Jordan said is my like fucking killer, but I don't know if I trust his opinion. So we're going with gremlins. And yeah, I'll he start. loves soccer. So I don't know if you should trust his opinion. All right, so let me give you my brief rundown of Gremlins, and we'll get to your pitches. 
I'll go first. I don't know if I said that. Okay. Um, so Gremlins is from 1984. It received a, an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is too low. Uh, it was directed by Joe Dante and stars Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Howie Mandel as Gizmo, uh, Hoyt Axton, Polly Holiday, Key Luke, and Francis Lee McCain. Um, a, a gadget salesman is looking for a special gift for his son and finds one at a store in Chinatown. The shopkeeper is reluctant to sell him the Mogwai, but sells it to him with the warning never to expose it to bright light, water, or feed him after midnight. All of these happen, and the result is a gang of gremlins that decide to tear up the town on Christmas Eve. All right, Joe, let's hear your pitch for gremlins. All right, I'm just going to say I decided, because the gremlins was originally, like they call it a horror comedy, but I've seen it a number of times, and the only scary scene is the terrible scene of Phoebe Cates' character talking about this when her dad died because of how just terrible it is. That's the only part I'm scared in that movie. So I'm making my version of gremlins, a straight up comedy. And that scene's fucking gone. It's just not in my movie because it's... if you haven't seen it, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. It's terrible. So my Billy Peltzer, the main kid is going to be played by uh, Skylar Gazando. Uh, I don't really know him for much other than he played uh, the Jared, the rich kid in Booksmart. He was in the uh, Vacation reboot with Adam oh, okay. Holmes or whatever, too. Oh, okay. And then uh, my Kate Berenger, who was originally played by Phoebe Cates, is now played by Zendaya. Randall Peltzer, Billy's dad, is now played by Nick Offerman. And then the Chinese seller who sells Randall the Mogwai is going to be played by Ken Jeong. And here's my pitch. Uh, after moving his family to Florida for work, failed inventor Randall Peltzer decides to buy a Mogwai named Gizmo uh, for his son Billy for Christmas from a crazy Chinese man in Chinatown. Uh, the man warns him of the rules of raising mogwai. Never get them wet, never feed them after midnight, and don't suppose, expose them to bright light or they may turn into a gremlin. Randall relays the rules to his son Billy, but Billy doesn't listen. Gizmo replicates and there are a bunch of gremlins terrorizing the city. Billy teams up with his neighbor and classmate Kate Berenger to find them all, but they are in over their head. They go back to the Chinese seller, and he tells them they need to find Gizmo, the original, and if he is moved, the others will follow him, similar to a queen bee in a hive. They ask for his help, and he says he can't help them because he helped them find Gizmo because he isn't trained and he doesn't know, but he knows someone who can. He warns them this man hasn't worked in a while, and his methods are unorthodox. The seller hands Billy a business card that reads Ace Ventura Pet Detective, which is the rule I'm using for my movie. From there, it's a wacky adventure with a down-and-out 2020 Ace Ventura tracking down the gremlins with Billy and Kate. And I forgot to say, well, I didn't forget to say I did this on purpose. My director is uh, Tom Shadiak, who directed The Nutty Professor, Liar Liar, Bruce Almighty, and also co-wrote and directed the original Ace Ventura. Um, Joe, I'm not going to lie. I debated on, on using that rule for this movie, strangely enough. But I did not, so we have our first difference of the of the round. Well, let's hear your uh, your version of Gremlins. All right, so my Billy is going to be played by Thomas Mann. He's the main. Uh, he's the lead in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. My Kate is going to be Chloe Grace Moretz, who was great in Let Me In and Neighbors Two and everything she's uh, done. Hit Girl. Um, Mr. Randall Peltzer, Billy's dad, is going to be played by Jason Bateman. Um, Mr. Wing is going to be played by Donnie Yen. Um, and my director is going to be, 
someone who has experience with my rule because his name is Christopher Landon and he directed Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2. So Happy uh, Death Day to you. To you. So those movies have the Groundhog's Day scenario. So that is the rule that I'm using for my Gremlins movie because like Joe said, the original one doesn't really have a lot of um, horror and I actually do think Gremlins 2 is better because it is so fun but I want to reboot it as an actual horror comedy and the way to do that is to actually have the gremlins feel menacing because they don't really kill anyone in the first movie so in this movie they're going to kill Billy over and over again he's going to keep waking up on the same day um, so it's going to be Christmas Eve it's going to be the day after he receives Gizmo from uh, from his dad um, so Randall Peltzer, uh, Jason Bateman he buys a strange pet and it has three important rules. He doesn't really take it seriously. I think Jason Bateman is is good for that role of like not really paying much attention and kind of waving it off, but wanting a good pet for his son. Uh, so he buys it from Mr. Wing in Chinatown for his son, Billy. Billy names the pet Gizmo, but uh, the rules are broken. He multiplies. They turn into uh, evil mutants overnight while Billy is sleeping. Um, and... Billy wakes up to find evil mutant gremlins destroying the town the next morning. He goes to check on his neighbor, Kate, but he is killed by a gremlin dropping a giant piano on his head. Um, Billy wakes up in shock on the same uh, Christmas Eve morning. He must find love with Kate and stop the gremlins before midnight that day or his day keeps resetting. Uh, basically, throughout the movie, the gremlins kill him over and over. And uh, the gremlins are killed in a lot of fun ways. Like the best kills in the original movie are all the gremlins dying like the microwave and stuff. So I want Gremler, gremlins like put into microwaves and killed by, you know, like snowblowers and weird ways. Um, and we're going to make it kind of bloody, and but we're going to make it fun. It's still going to be humorous. Like it's going to be very similar tone to Happy Death Day where that's a, it's a slasher movie, but it's still funny. Um, and so we're going to go with more, more of that. Lean a little more into horror where Joe leaned fully into comedy. I'm still going to have some comedy um, in it, but it's going to be more of a horror movie and a Groundhog's Day scenario. Okay. Well, before I get to my questions, I see Joe uh, mentioned we have a live chat comment. Uh, so what do we got? Actually, we have two. Uh... Joe got robbed. Hashtag Duke Gate. Um, I don't know which one that's referring to, but uh, I, think, I, I, I think that was the previous one. Because the first one I deserve to lose. Okay, well, that last one was the closest one, but I, I still liked Johnny's pitch better. Every person with a Shih Tzu, including me, named their dog after Gizmo. Yep, that's true. We did. Here that did that, both in the same family. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I agree with that, and I don't agree with the Dupegate comment. Um, but that's just same. me as a judge. Um, so I have a question. I'll start with Johnny, since I've given it to Joe the last couple times here. Um but so you said that your movie is going to, to have horror as well as comedy in your pitch, but I feel like, so I don't know if you've seen happy death day, but the best parts of that movie are not the horror. Um, tell me what kind of the tone of the horror is going to be included in your movie and how much it's going to skew towards comedy. I feel like mine, like I've seen happy death day and, and like, I don't know. It's tough for me to ever judge horror because I feel like there's no like, nothing ever scares me in movies. So like if a movie has jump scares, like happy death day, I feel like that was the type of horror it used was things jumping out at you. 
um, and like the slasher jumping out from behind the bushes to get her. And then the rest of the movie was more fun tone and you kind of get to know the character. So mine's going to focus more on like the character development, but then the horror aspects are going to be them not knowing when gremlins are going to attack. And since they can die at any time, gremlins can get them in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of any scene, in the middle of any room. So like, it just kind of keeps you on edge waiting for a gremlin attack because anything can happen. I kind of like the idea that Happy Death Day had of a horror movie where the person can die over and over again, because usually in horror movies, there's no actual stakes because you're not worried for the main character. You usually know who the final girl is. You never actually have to worry about them. In Happy Death Day, I feel like the thing that it could have done better was have more surprise kills because you knew basically every time the person was going to die. And then they kind of have a montage of that happening, but it's more comedic. I want this movie to like them playing out, trying to figure out what, like how to prevent the day from resetting, but no matter where they are, they could die at any second. So you still have humor and the kills are going to still be like, you can have some funny kills, especially when the gremlins are, are killed. Um, but I want the kind of tension of, Oh, they walk into any room, whether it's a movie theater or a, gas station or anything and they could just die at any time so that's more of the horror that mine's going to go for okay i still have some questions but i'll see if joe brings that up in the rebuttal uh so for joe um your sounds much more i mean as you said it's more comedic so how is this going to differentiate itself from gremlins 2 and the tone that that movie had well this question would be a lot easier if i've seen gremlins 2 but i'll just say because i have because i have ace ventura then I don't think Gremlins 2 had Ace Ventura. And, uh, Good rebuttal. <laughs> oh, you were winning it. <laughs> Go. No, so basically my thing is, it's because I know, I know from what I know about Gremlins 2 is it was somewhat of a parody of Gremlins 1, and it was like self-referential and all that. Where mine's not really. Mine's more like the wackiness of Jim Carrey and these two kids following Jim Carrey around as he tries to figure out where this main gremlin is. And like, they'll be on the trail of where they think he is, but then it's the wrong gremlin. Maybe it's Stripe and not Gizmo. And that thing. And it's Jim Carrey finding clues to find this one main gremlin, the original uh, of this group of gremlins, Gizmo. All right. Uh, well, I need to hear some more from each of you. So why don't you argue yeah. it out? No, so my main thing against Johnny's is he's like, oh, this movie has stakes because anyone can die at any time. But the problem is it resets after every day. So like if I stabbed myself in the chest, but I wake up and I repeat the next day and it's not really like I stabbed myself in the chest it's the really stake. So I feel like at the end of it, like, uh, like eventually I feel like I could get tired of just like gremlins popping out of random places, killing our main characters because I just know it's going to reset. It's like, Oh, there, there he died where I feel like why it works in groundhog day is because he learned something new every day and the gremlins are so that can help him the next day. And I feel like the gremlins are so random and chaotic where a gremlin popping out of the dresser today, the gremlin might not be there tomorrow of like tomorrow. So it's like, I don't learn anything of that gremlin popping out of there now because it might not be there the next time I do this. So it's just like a lot of random kills over and over and over and over again. Okay. I can see, I see your point on the stakes thing. My point on the stakes thing was more, Less so that, like, my movie will have stakes of, like, you're actually worried for the character. Like, it's a movie. Like, if you actually worry about the characters, like, I, I don't know. You, but my characters don't movie. repeat. If my characters die, then that's it. That's a wrap. 
Yeah, but no one should be dying in an Ace Ventura movie. And my biggest problem with yours, Joe, like, I just think mine sounds more true to like a fun gremlin style movie. You can do more with gremlins. You actually focus on them. They are going to be like puppets, animatronics, like the original. It's not going to be CGI. Hey, I never said and anything about mine I think, being CGI. I, 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 someone I, I think me. yours are yours are probably the same. I'm not saying yours aren't. Um, I'm just I just feel like that's a point neither of us made about our movies. Yeah. Um, but Ace Ventura is a great comedy, but like Gremlins 2, you haven't seen it, but it's also a great comedy, and it's one of my favorite movies. And the comedy, even in like the first Gremlins and second Gremlins, doesn't mesh well with Ace Ventura. And if you have an Ace Ventura movie with with Gremlins, like it, it would be better if you just didn't even have Gremlins and it was just him looking for Gizmo. Like, because it, at your point, like, you're taking away all the attention from Gremlins. It's not a real Gremlins movie. I know it's a, you know, it's a funny rule. Um, and we'll get to mine later. But I don't know. It's either an Ace Ventura movie or a Gremlins movie. And yours can't be both because it just doesn't mesh. Like, the new batch doesn't mesh with the Ace Ventura comedy. Right. I'm not rebooting Gremlins. the new batch. Okay. All right. Um, unless you have some brand new points, um, I'm decided on what you're arguing on. Um, so if you have anything else to bring up, go ahead. But I, otherwise, I was I just going to make one quick thing of like, we have gremlins in the same style of comedy that gremlins exists in. And I'm also saying I'm not rebooting the new batch so I can warp the comedy in the original gremlins to make it more like Ace Ventura to match it more. So just so it can mesh. So that's all I got. Okay. Johnny, anything to add? Um, I mean, I feel like the only thing is I feel like the main point of like Ace Ventura is he is all against people hunting animals and he's all about them. So unless Joe's movie is Ace Ventura teaming up with the gremlins and thinking of them as pets, it doesn't really work for his character because they can't kill gremlins with Ace Ventura around or he's going to turn on them. Okay. Hmm. All right. So... This is interesting. So as far as your cast, I found it pretty even. Um, nothing really differentiated itself for me. Um, the use of your rule, I don't think either of them were fantastic. Johnny, I think yours, um, you argued against something in your what your Groundhog Day scenario would do, which is the tension. I feel like that actually was a bad argument to make because I feel like that just relieves yourself from all tension from the movie. Because as soon as you die, you're going to be reset. Um, and Joe, I don't feel like your Ace Ventura casting was used as well as it could have. But what that did for you is create a better tone for your movie. So I feel like, Johnny, your tone for your movie was a little bit mixed matched. So you had comedy, but you also had tension that you're trying to bring in. But the tension was then relieved by the fact that it would be reset every time the main character died. Um, and Joe, yours even though you have not seen the new batch Ace Ventura type comedy is different enough than the comedy in gremlins too. So I think yours actually makes a different movie. And so I think you, uh, think you won this pitch. Hell yeah. See, here's where I screwed up my argument because if you guys took tension as worrying about characters and my tension was like, there could be a jump scare at any moment. So I should have focused yeah. more on like that. Like there are no stakes for characters in horror movies, but I feel like for the audience is what I meant for stakes. Like they don't know when something's going to jump out. That's what I was trying right. to argue, but I think I've stumbled upon my words a little bit. 
Yeah, that and just I don't think that stakes. Um, I don't think those actually create stakes to me personally when I'm watching a horror movie. So that kind of helped me in my decision. Um, yeah. So regardless of how you pitch that, I think I probably would have made the same choice. But uh, uh, it's 2-1. And Johnny, you get the choice on the next movie. And who gets to start first? Hmm. Um, let's see. Debating what to do here. I'm just going to go with, um, I'm going to go with Clue and, uh, I'll, I'll go first because Joe's gone first. I think every time. Yeah. Um, um I, so let me, let me read my description before you get going, unless you have something to add. No, go for it. Okay. So Clue from 1985 was directed by Jonathan Lynn. It received a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is horribly low. Yeah. Um, and it stars Tim Curry, uh, Eileen Brennan, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Leslie Ann Warren, Colleen Camp, and Lee Ving. Um, and then based on a popular board game, this comedy begins at a dinner party hosted by, hosted by Mr. Body, uh, where he admits to blackmailing his visitors. These guests who have been given aliases as Mr. Peacock, Miss Scarlet, Mr. Green, Professor Plum, Mrs. White, and Colonel Mustard, um, when when Mr. Body turns up murdered, all suspects, all are suspects, and together they try to figure out who is the killer. All right, Johnny, let's hear your pitch. All right, I'll start by um, first of all saying I rewatched Clue this morning because I wrote my pitch and I was all excited to watch Clue. Doesn't hold up. I don't know when the last time you guys watched it was, but the comedy in that movie doesn't hold up very well, um, unfortunately, because I was like super pumped to watch Clue again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying, I mean, it's just, it just isn't as good as I remembered it. I was very disappointed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to update it. I'm going to make it, uh, fit the tone of the whodunit style movie better. So I'm going to start by my casting. My professor plum is going to be played by Jason Schwartzman. My Mrs. Peacock is going to be played by by Tilda Swinton. (laughs) My, uh, Wadsworth uh, the butler is going to be played by Ray Fiennes. My Colonel Mustard is going to be played by Bill Murray. My Mr. Green is going to be played by Owen Wilson. My Mrs. White is going to be played by Seorsi Ronan. Shorsha. Oh, yeah. Shorsha. Shorsha Ronan. Um, my Miss Scarlet is going to be played by Angelica Houston. And uh, my Yvette, uh, the, uh, like, Nurse or not nurse was the, the maid is going to be played by Scarlett Johansson and my Mr. Body who invites them all to the party is going to be played by Edward Norton. And those people have all done movies before with Wes Anderson, whose style fits clue to a T. And this is my number one. I would be first in line to the theater if Wes Anderson said he was doing a clue movie because the style of like a grand Budapest hotel, but done in clue I'm all on board for, I feel like it's, it's perfect for it. His humor works better. It's quirky characters. I wouldn't waste and time defending your rule. Cause I feel Cause like Joe's probably doing argument. the same one. So I'm just setting that up. Um, but other than that, I mean, Joe and I are basically going to be fighting on cast because you can't really change the plot too much of clue. I feel like it does work. Um, but six guests, they're invited to a creepy mansion for dinner with Mr. Body. They're all assigned aliases. As the butler Wadsworth gets them ready for dinner, Mr. Body reveals uh, 
He's blackmailing each of them for different reasons before the lights go out and they find him dead. Every character has motive. Who done it? That's pretty much all I wrote because it's Clue. It's a classic plot. That's really all the movie is. It's a whodunit in a house. The guy who invites them, who's blackmailing every person in the original movie, they all work in Washington, D.C., and they're all involved in some sort of political, you know, gain. And, you know, you don't know you don't know who killed him. And every ending was different. So everyone killed him, technically. Uh, so really quick, just because I think I missed it as I was writing guys down. Who is your butler, the Tim Curry character? Ray Fiennes. Okay. All right. So, Joe, I feel like I know where you're heading with this pitch. So uh, let's hear your version. All right. So fun fact, I'm using – the rule I'm using for my clue is uh, it's a Groundhog Day scenario. No, that's a lie. Uh-huh. It's, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm casting this. I'm making it a, the rule I'm using is I'm making it a Wes Anderson movie. I saw this, this and I'm like, pretty, oh, this is a pretty play. obvious one. Yeah, we're both definitely using this rule. So, my timid Mr. Green is uh, Jason Schwartzman. My Colonel Mustard is Bill Murray. My Mrs. White, originally played by Madeline Kahn, is Gwyneth Paltrow. My Miss Scarlet, originally played by Leslie Ann Warren, is Scarlett Johansson. My Professor Plum, originally played by Christopher Lloyd, is Jeff Goldblum. My Mrs. Peacock is Frances McDormand. My Butler, originally played by Tim Curry, is Ray Fiennes. And my Mr. Body is Willem Dafoe. <laughs> so, I mean, can we tie? How do we Except- fight this one? I, 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 I did something a little different. So basically, it's the same story as the first, but in Wes Anderson style with his quirky humor and eccentricities. The first movie is known for having various endings, depending on which showing you went to. I wanted to keep that, but I'm changing it up. So most people buy their ticket online. So when you buy your, so when you buy your ticket for this movie, you are then prompted to vote for what ending you want. Whether ever ending gets the most votes, wins, and that's the ending that is shown in your theater. And that is my pitch for Clue, directed by Wes Anderson. So Clue, but put up to a vote. Yeah, because if uh, you to me, if you don't have like that's what Clue is known for is the multiple endings. So uh, I was like, if I get rid of this, like, is it really even Clue anymore? No, yeah, mine will have the multiple en- endings too. But if you vote for it, I feel like that kind of spoils it, or it doesn't not well, reveal no, it. No, because oh, yeah. I like I vote for ending A. I, everyone else in the theater could have voted for ending B. I don't know what they voted for. Okay, so that's that was my question. Is it going to be A, B, C, D, and you don't know what's what? Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, like you might know, like, okay, ending A is the butler did it, but everyone else in the theater could have voted for ending C, and I won't know until the ending starts. So okay. they're like, oh, the ending. So I just wanted to add something different right. with multiple. Um, so this is interesting because I completely understand both your movies. Uh, this was the one rule that I feel like matched up perfectly as I was looking through it. Um, argue your points because they're the same movie pretty much at this point, except for the cast, which I feel like I have my decision on. I mean, it's basically like hit or miss. I mean, you could have switched a few of them around. Maybe, you know, the butlers fucking Jeff Goldblum. I mean, we both cast Ray Fiennes. You both cast Colonel Plum as the same guy, like Colonel Mustard. Mustard. I feel like we both nailed our casting except for one. A couple of differences is I feel like, in the original one, like I wanted to at least go for everyone is kind of being blackmailed for different reasons. So in the original one, there's like the older woman whose husband is a politician. Um, and there's, you know, kind of different age ranges. I feel like Joe did that a little with his with his guys, but all of your women are kind of younger. So I wanted to kind of cast mine, whereas like when you reveal their motive. Francis McDormand. 
Which one is she? I forget in yours. Uh, Mrs. Peacock. Okay. So I have, yeah, I have Tilda Swinton as her. I have Angelica Houston as Miss Scarlet. And then Mrs. White is my Cersei Ronan. Um, I don't, I don't know. It, it's tough to fight because I was worried that Joe would just pitch the same thing. Cause I'm like, mine will win going up against Joe unless he does the same thing. But I felt like this one was so obvious. I feel like the, the biggest difference, um, man, I don't I, I yeah, feel like, like I can't I argue against like, this. We pitched the same thing. Here's my, here's my, different. here's my only point of, for Joe's. One, I feel like the fun of the original Clue movie was because every theater got different endings. So if you found out, oh, like Imagine has, you know, the Mr. Mrs. White ending and AMC has the Colonel Mustard ending, then you would go see the movie in different theaters based on that. So having the vote thing, like I would be frustrated if I went to see this movie twice and it had the same ending twice based on a vote. I would only go see this movie multiple times in theaters because I know that the ending is going to be different. Maybe I don't know which ending it is, but I'd rather be surprised at the end than like see the same movie twice in a row. I think that would get frustrating. And then I think Gwyneth Paltrow is a horrible human being and Joe cast her and I did not. So I think that's, uh, that's mainly the difference. I think she just does. If you'd know anything about her personally, people hate her in real life. She's one of the most hated actresses in Hollywood and she has her weird vagina candle. So Get her out of there. Even right, though so, I love her in Royal Tenenbaums. So yeah, I, she's good in Royal Tenenbaums. Can I make a point against what he was saying though? Uh, which point? Because I'm decided on a lot of what has been said. Uh, the whole like against my voting. Nope i I already got my choice on that. Oh, and yeah. depending on what you say, it's not going to really change that. I I mean, I was just my whole thing was eventually like you're not going to see a movie like back to back weeks and especially a Wes Anderson movie isn't going to have a packed theater. So you go with like four friends. If you've all seen movie a, you and four friends vote for movie C. It's probably what's going to be shown. Or if you vote for ending C, that's probably what's going to be shown. All right. I got it. Uh, I also was just let known that we have a live chat um, because I'm pretty much, I have my decision. Uh, This one was a little bit more of a runaway once the argument started. So, uh, Let's see what the live chat says. How is there no George Clooney in either Clue recast? I kind of agree, but you know what? Because he only has voiced a character in Wes Anderson movies. He's never actually been live action in any of them. That's true. That's the only reason. I feel like he fits the tone, and that's a really good call. Um, He'd be a good Mr. Body. Yeah. Just there at the beginning. Yep, I feel that's perfect. That would be perfect for George Clooney is to be there, there just in the beginning. Uh, to be the rich, you know, the rich guy in the mansion. I should have wrote that when I was writing really quick. When I realized I didn't write mis- when I didn't cast Mister Body when uh, Johnny was giving. No, yeah, yeah, that's what that's what like in mine too. Like the only thing I forgot to mention in my pitch, and I feel like Joe would just have the same thing because we'd all have crossover actors in the movie Clue. It has people coming into the house and answering the door, so I would still have that. But like I forgot to mention, that would be. Basically, like Jeff Goldblum was the only person I really had in mind for that, but it'd be just people who worked with him before Luke Wilson and and him coming into the house, and I'm sure Joe would have the same thing, yeah. and it'd all be Wes Anderson actors. Yeah. So speaking of that, uh, you were, I mean, you know, your pitch for the movie, as far as your rule, you guys did the same thing. You both used it well. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much a tie. Um, your your cast. Um, the one separating factor was that Joe cast Jeff Goldblum in this movie as a main character, because I feel like he is perfect for this tone 
and he is perfect for this type of movie and he would add to the humor. Um, and I would love to see that. And so that came down to the actual pitch of the movie. Um, and Joe gave me a little more of what he's doing with this as far as the multiple endings and how it was going to be done. I actually really liked the way that you would uh, vote. I think that brings it into a modern time. I think that gives the multiple endings a way that it can actually be done today. Um, so I just really liked that. And Jeff Goldblum just put it over the top for me. So I think Joe just tied it up. Hell yeah. Two to two. Mm, don't love it. I feel like voting online is like the opposite of what a Wes Anderson movie is about. I think Wes Anderson doesn't even use a computer. So like, that's a very weird thing to be a Wes Anderson movie. I liked that as a modern movie and how you could do clue. So I feel like that was done well. So yeah, feels gimmicky. Yeah. I liked yeah, it. You know, cause you know, clue with its multiple endings is not gimmicky at all. Not right. at all. <laughs> No, I was thinking when Joe was saying that, and I was like, do I just make this like a streaming movie and then have like some rule based on that? But <laughs> just make it, uh, uh, what's the that show? Bandersnatch? Yeah, like Bandersnatch. Black Mirror did it? Yeah, like a choose your own adventure clue movie would be would be cool. Yeah. I would have liked that. That probably would have beat the voting in theaters. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't know Joe would have the same rule as me. So maybe I would have put it. Well, what else thing. was I going to do with clue besides make it a Wes Anderson movie? See the other, see the other thing I was actually debating because I think the best scene in Ace Ventura is when he like takes the old lady in the dress to like dance with is just make Ace Ventura come into the house and do that to all the characters. <laughs> Cause him interacting with a bunch of rich, snotty, like politicians is what Ace Ventura humor it should be. Not gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Johnny, since you lost, what movie are we doing next? Yeah, what are we doing? Um, Hmm. We're gonna go with uh, we're gonna go with Battle Royale, right. and uh, and I'll go first. All right. So before you start, let me get you the rundown of the movie. Uh, so Battle Royale from year two thousand uh, received an eighty-seven percent uh, from Rotten Tomatoes. It was directed by Kinji Fukasaku. Um, it started starred Aki Maeda, Tatsui Fujiwara, Takeshi Kitano. Chaiki Kuriyama, Tariya Moto, Masanobi Ando, and Sausuke Takawa. Um, in the near future, the economy has collapsed, unemployment has soared, and ju- juvenile crime has exploded. Fear of its nation's youth, the Japanese government passed the BR law. Um, each year, a ninth grade class is sent to a remote island where they will be locked into exploding neck collars, giving them a random weapon, and forced to hunt and kill each other until only one survivor is left. Battle Royale follows one such class with an ice-cold performance from Takeshi Kasano as the group's teacher. Uh, so let's hear your pitches for the movie that basically inspired The Hunger Games. That The Hunger Games are ripped off, you mean? Yeah, inspired. That's all it is. Yeah, I have yet to off. see a single Hunger Games movie. So. Yeah, that's good. Two, that's probably two, good for you. Two and a half of them are good. There's one good one. It's the second one. Don't bother with the other crap. All right. So... Battle Royale, great movie, fun, uh, you know, Japanese action movie. I feel like the only thing you can really do to this is modernize it and maybe throw in some political commentary. So this is my my pitch for, for Battle Royale. In the near future, a class of inner city kids at an underfunded school is visited by a very powerful executive, Donald White. 
played by Nick Offerman. He tells the school he is here to finance uh, public schools in poor cities and is going to bring them on a field trip to his corporate run island. The students are excited to visit an island and experience a world they never thought they would see in the land of opportunity. However, on the way to the island, uh, the teachers and the students are gassed. They wake up in a room with a TV monitor telling them they are now in a tournament and will have to kill each other to survive. If they refuse to do so, they will be hunted. The doors open and the students are violently escorted out by armed guards. The main protagonist, Sean, played by Shamik Moore, must fight for his survival in a battle royale on an island of powerful, rich, white supremacists forcing black people to kill each other. Um, so my rule that I'm using for my movie is I'm resurrecting the career of a director um, that made one of the one of the greatest movies of all time, has a history of making good political commentary movies, um, and that is Tony Kay, who did American History X. He really hasn't done much since then. He's done a couple of movies here and there and mainly music videos. Um, so I want him to come in and make another movie as powerful as American History X in terms of the message, but also he directs music videos and he likes making, you know, action-y type stuff. So I'm having him make an action movie as well. Um, and my movie, because it's tough to really say who everyone was in the original one, my main star is Shamik Moore. He was in Dope and Into the Spider-Verse. Um, my movie also stars RJ Kyler. He was uh, Earl and Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. He was in Power Rangers. Um, Jacob Lattimore, who is in Detroit, and he's in the, the Chai, the, the show. Logan Browning, uh, she is in the show Dear White People. Mason Gooding from Booksmart. And then obviously Nick Offerman as the big, you know, like uh, Donald White, powerful executive guy who brings them to the island. So so that is uh, is my pitch for Battle Royale. All right, I like that. Uh, Joe, let's hear yours. All right, so, yeah, like uh, Johnny, I'm not like being like, oh, this person is this person, this person is that person. So my director is uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood. Uh, she directed The Old Guard, which is a popular action movie on Netflix right now. She directed Love and Basketball, and she directed The Secret Life of Bees. So she's good with working with kids. She's good with working in, direct, in uh, action. My cast, my main kid is uh, Forrest Wheeler. He's uh, he's an Asian uh, actor. He's in Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, and his friend in the movie that he befriends throughout the movie is Caleb uh, McLaughlin, who's uh, in Stranger Things. I have Alia Cravalho, who's in Moana. Nicholas Hamilton, who's kind of my somewhat main villain in regards to the kids, is Henry Bowers in the movie It. I have David Mazous, who's uh, Bruce Wayne in Gotham. And then I have uh, Karen Brar, who's kind of just like a regular Disney Channel kid. And my main villain, uh, Johnny Cast, uh, Nick Offerman, mine is Henry Golding. Uh, he was in Crazy Rich Asians, The Gentleman, and Last Christmas. And so here's my pitch. Forrest Wheeler is a young YouTuber who has a dream of being a journalist. He has built up a following and is hired by the Junior Olympics to go to Japan and document what the Junior Olympics is like from a kid's perspective. The first morning, Forrest and the child athletes from around the world are waiting for the shuttle to the event area. He is noticeably shorter and smaller than the other kids who are mean and bully him. On the shuttle, Forrest falls asleep alone in the back of the bus and wakes up as it gets hijacked. The shuttle is taken to a remote area and then led to an island. There they are told by Henry Golding's character that they will be fighting to the death and the whole thing is broadcast all around the world on the dark web. 
Anyone refusing to participate will be thrown off the cliff on the edge of the island. The last one alive will win $1 million. Forrest's character is one of the first to choose his duffel bag uh, with a random weapon and rations, and he leaves out onto the island. He soon finds an old abandoned house. He goes down into the basement to hide and finds a hidden door with a strange light behind it. Forrest walks into the blinding light and weirdly steps out of the front door of the abandoned house. He's immediately shot by an arrow in the chest and dies and wakes back up on the bus as it is being hijacked. Yes, the rule I am using is I am turning Battle Royale into a Groundhog Day scenario. Throughout the movie, Forrest Wheeler's character learns the situation and how to win. Over time, he learns which duffel bag is best, who to avoid, who is helpful, and eventually him and the most evil kid are the last two alive, and he tricks the evil kid into falling into one of his traps. And that is my pitch for Battle Royale. All right. Um, So for Johnny, I just want to get a question on tone, and Joe, I have a question on... I guess plot and how it's different than a different movie. So for Johnny, um, is this movie going to still be pretty brutal or is it going to be more PG 13 to try to get more people to see this uh, political or, uh, you know, social theme that's going to be going on in your movie? Very R rated. I mean, it's battle royale. It's people killing each other and it's a commentary, you know, it, it's like PG 13. Like I understand maybe putting something out to a broad audience that's about a political commentary, but this movie is going to be about how basically powerful rich people cause oppression, which causes a lot of the black on black crime in this country and causes oppressed people to murder each other and things like that. It's going to be a very dark movie. You know, it'll be like Detroit. Like I'm not going to make Detroit a PG 13 movie, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so it'll be, it'll be R rated. It'll be, it's definitely an adult movie like American history X was, um, uh, and as far as tone goes, it, it will be it will be a violent movie with some with some you know violent kills and some kind of things that make you cringe. Okay, um, and Joe, uh, your movie really reminded me of the Tom Cruise movie Edge of Tomorrow or Live Die Repeat. Um, how is it going to differentiate itself, and how and if it does, how is it going to how is it going to separate itself from from a movie with such a charismatic lead with the same premise? So basically, I think because I, I haven't seen um, Live, Die, Repeat, but I've like looked into it because I thought that same thing. And the difference between my movie is my kid doesn't like learn to fight better. Like he doesn't become like a great fighter at the end. It's almost more think of it like a home alone where like he watches the killers come into his trap and his trap doesn't work. And he ultimately dies. And then he has to think, OK, I have to make this trap better. Or he like he learns throughout the movie who's helpful and who's his enemy. And he kind of learns. He basically learns the map more than becoming a better fighter throughout the movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I get your movies. Um, I think I'm leaning one way over the other right now, but I want to hear your arguments uh, really briefly and then I'll give my judgment. My, my main thing with Joe's is you. Okay. I understand making this groundhog day scenario. It is, you haven't seen the dire repeat, but it is basically that of him waking up, but, at what point is he waking up in the day when he's on the it's, bus, like to the killing field or before they it's on the bus, like as field. it gets hijacked. Like, okay. So like I thought about that, like there's, there's nothing he can do at that point. Like it's basically so the point of no return. Here's, he wakes here's up. my thing with your, with your movie. No one's going to be rooting for this stupid kid who just like is bad at, 
battle royale. Like my thing with your movie is it would be better if the point of it being a groundhog day is for him to save everyone's life and convince in the end of it, Hey, we aren't supposed to kill each other. Let's all work together and we can find our way out of here. But you turned your movie into, he has to be the final one who wins the tournament. So like, there's no message. There's no good quality of your characters he just keeps waking up every day and learns how to kill the next people like that's my my thing with the opening is my thing with the opening is like these kids are like because these are like these top peak athletes at least for the junior olympics and he's just like this small youtuber kid the opening scene is them all mostly just like bullying and harassing and fucking making his life miserable through the opening where he's not, it's not all just like these kids being happy and fucking nice. And, oh, we're going to the Junior Olympics. I specifically made all of these kids fucking shitty people. So you basically made your movie about a school shooter who keeps waking up and having to kill every person. Like that because is other people are forcing like. him to. But okay. you're not rooting for your person. Like your person, like I know Bobby probably is ruling, but just in terms of the, the commentary that your movie should make, like it would be a better ending if he realizes the only way to stop the Groundhog Day scenario is I need to convince everyone we have to work together and not kill each other. All right, so I think I do have my ruling, but I want to hear just one final argument, no rebuttal, um, from each of you. Uh, so let's start with Johnny, then go to Joe, and just pitch one more thing of why your movie is better than the other. Again, Joe's movie, um, it just kind of feels pointless, and it feels a little dangerous for, I feel like nowadays time. Um, and I don't love just the, the message of the movie of just like, Oh, people bullied you. So you keep waking up and hoping that you kill the rest of the people. I would have liked it better if it was, he learns to work together and it shows like, even like, even if people start off horrible in the beginning, maybe it's more hopeful by the end of it. Um, now mine, I feel like is a better movie because I feel like the only true way to update battle royale is to maybe give it more of a social commentary and a big important issue in this country is, you know, everyone brings up black on black crime to defend all these terrible things happening in this country. But a lot of that is caused by oppression. And my movie is going to really dive deep into that and show like, you know, this happens because rich, powerful people basically force them into it. And uh, in the end of my movie, they're, you know, people are going to still die. You're going to have people get killed, but in the end, they're going to, you know, work together and they're going to kill, you know, Nick Offerman and the white supremacists. That's how my movie ends. All right. So I'll say against his movie, like I get his political message and all that, but I feel like you're taking a movie that has like a big political message and that's the driving point of his movie. And I feel like you're shrinking your audience and then you're going to make it a hard R movie and you're just shrinking your audience even more where my movie, I will say against my movie, he's not like a school shooter type because he's not the one going around killing people. He's more going around learning how to survive in this violent scenario more than going out and being the aggressor. It's not until he gets to the final kid that is like sadistic that he's the one that ultimately kills him. And that's what I have to say. All right. So, um, yeah, so I feel like I do have my ruling on this and, uh, I, although I do love the aspect Joe of yours with the U, the YouTuber, um, I thought that was a really good way to bring in kind of a modern audience. Um, I just feel like Johnny's movie without that Groundhog Day scenario uh, brought a better message. Um, I feel like that Groundhog Day scenario, for what you argued, did not help the plot of the movie. 
Um, it didn't help any tension. It didn't help who you're rooting for because he's just learning every time and there's no drama as to whether he's going to live or die. Um, and also Johnny kind of played towards me because I just like him watched Dev uh, in this quarantine and love the way Nick Offerman played an evil CEO in that series. Um, and so that really played to me as well. Um, and yeah, I just feel like Johnny used the rule better as far as resurrecting um, a career. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really love a Groundhog Day scenario for, um, for, for Battle Royale. I just don't, I think it ruins the entire tension of the movie and what it's trying to bring. So I'm going to give this to Johnny. As soon as he said school shooter, I'm like, well, I'm done. <laughs> That's, that is a that was such a now that joe and i both got that rule out of the way that was such a freaking hard rule i thought that would be fun and that was my idea yeah terrible idea yeah that very round, hard groundhog day to put into any of these movies is tough the yeah, main one i thought about putting movies. it in was clue of like the main guy like just essentially ha- like them all having more time to figure out who killed him and that was the only other one i had for groundhog yeah. day but i'm like what do i pair with wes anderson then at that point so yeah i don't i don't have one that i would have easily paired with that uh so the only one the only one i would have actually done that with is a movie neither of you have pitched with and i would have done it for a very specific plot and character reason but uh the flintstone yeah. yes exactly well, yeah yeah fred you know but it's funny uh, you say that because i think that's where i'm going with my next pick is the flintstones Oh, yeah. right. Uh, are you going to go first or second? Um, I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll, I got to scroll and find out on my thing if you want to read the. Yep. No, I'll read it out. Uh, so the Flintstones from 1994 uh, received a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is low. But to be fair, I have not seen this movie since I was a kid. Um, it was directed by uh, Brian Levant and stars John Goodman, Rick Moranis, Elizabeth Perkins, Halle Berry, Rosie O'Donnell. Elizabeth Taylor, and Kyle MacLachlan. Uh, a big-hearted, dim-witted factory worker named Fled, Fred Flintstone lands, uh, lends money to his friend Barney Rubble, uh, played by Rick Moranis, so he can adopt a baby. As thanks, Barney swaps his IQ test for Fred's during an executive search program. After getting promoted, however, Fred becomes embroiled in a dastardly scheming of his boss, Cliff Vandercave, played by Kyle MacLachlan, who enlists his secretary, Sharon Stone, Halle Berry, to seduce Fred, angering Fred's wife, Wilma, played by Elizabeth Perkins. Um, so, yeah, let's hear your pitches. All right, I'm just going to say everything he just read is irrelevant because I threw it the fuck out because that movie's trash. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I love the cast. That was the hardest part, fair, honestly. Fair. mind. I thought John Goodman was such a good Fred that it was really yeah. tough to, to cast. I him. had one. I'll say I had Vince Vaughn in mind, but I switched it because he was too old for what I wanted to do. So I'll say uh, to start, uh, the rule I used is I made mine a rom-com. Uh, my director is Claire Scanlon, who directed the Netflix rom-com Set It Up. Uh, my Fred Flintstone is Carl Urban from Star Trek, Thor Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok and Dread. My Wilma Flintstone is Isla Fisher from Wedding Crashers. Uh, my Barney Rubble is Alexander Ludwig. He was in The Hunger Games, Bad Boys for Life, and he was also in the show Vikings. And my Betty is uh, Zoe Deutsch, who was in uh, Zombieland 2, and she was also in Set It Up as well. Now... The overall plot of my movie is the happy couple of Fred and Wilma trying to set up their co-workers, Barney and Betty. 
It's a romantic comedy that looks at modern dating through the lens of the Flintstones. We see the Flintstones version of Tinder where a pterodactyl brings stone carvings of local people and you throw them to the left or right based on interest. If both throw each other to the right, the pterodactyl calls, telling you it's a match. There's a scene early on of Barney swiping, but after not getting any matches, he storms off. The next one on the docket is Betty, who we see carved in her 1960s animated style. Uh, We see Betty go on a string of bad dates with guys who are stereotypical cavemen, super hairy, mouth-drooling knuckle-draggers. Both she and Barney have given up on dating. They don't want to meet anyone else, no matter how much Fred and Wilma hype up the other. Well, the two meet organically at the bowling alley and go out for a couple of months. But both hide it from Fred and Wilma because they said they had given up on dating. Neither Barney nor Betty realizes they are out with who Fred and Wilma were trying to set them up with. After a while, Barney invites Betty over to rock flicks and chill. But Betty is upset and mad at Barney and says he's just like the other cavemen and leaves him. However, both decide they are ready to date, though, and go back to Fred and Wilma and ask to be set up with the person they had recommended. When Betty and Barney meet at the restaurant on their blind date, they realize what had happened. Barney apologizes, Betty accepts, and it all ends happily ever after. The movie ends with a small flash forward to Barney and Betty's wedding and Wilma saying she is pregnant. And that is my pitch for the Flintstones. Okay, interesting. Let's hear Johnny's. All right. Um, I actually thought about making mine a rom-com. And then I was like, no one wants to, no one gives a shit about a rom-com Flintstones movie. So I went a different way. Um, So I'll start with my casting. So my Fred is Steve Howie. Uh, he plays Kevin on Shameless. He's like the best character on that show. He's also in a movie called Stuber. He's in a bunch of really fun stuff. He he fits that role well. Kind of the dumb, fun character um, that's not very self-aware. Wilma, I have Jamie Presley. Uh, she's in a show right now called Mom, but she was in My Name is Earl. Um, and I think Dirty, uh, what's it called? Dirty Joe, right? Something uh, like that. I don't know. Uh, Joe Dirt. Joe Dirt, not Dirty Joe. <laughs> Dummy. You're mixing. Yeah, you're mixing movies there. Yeah. Um. And then uh, my Barney. Maybe Bobby will like this casting better because he hated him as Doctor Doom. I'm gonna go with Charlie Day as Barney. Maybe that fits better. Honestly. Um. Betty is gonna be played by Lake uh, Lake Bell from In a World, and and she's in a bunch of stuff. But Lake Bell is really funny. My Mister My Mister Slate. Uh, is going to be played by Paul Giamatti. My um, movie is going to include The Great Gazoo, and that is going to be Camille Nanciani. And if you don't know The Great Gazoo, he's like the weird little green Martian dude in the Flintstones. Um, And Camille Nanciani is arguably the funniest person on the planet, and I'd love to just see him in this. Um, Because my director is Michael Douse, who did a little movie called Stuber that just came out, and I was... I was pleasantly surprised about it. I thought Stuber was pretty good. Um, it, not like a home run, but I feel like that movie and the type of humor in it fits the Flintstones well. Um, so this is my, my pitch. So it's, it's set in the, in the Flintstones world. Um, and uh, Fred wakes up one morning and Dino is missing. Um, so when he goes missing, Fred and Barney look to hire a detective to help him. There's only one man for the job. Dinosaur and pet detective Ace Ventura. The uh, the group helps Ace look for clues, and they interact with uh, various Flintstone characters in order to discover what happened to Dino. So they're going to go all around Bedrock. They're going to go explore fun little 
um, different Flintstones areas. You're going to get a, a hold of the land, but it's basically going to be a, a Ace Ventura comedy set um, in the Flintstones world back in the day um, of dinosaurs and humans interacting, which, you know, never actually happened, but we're going to take it for the Flintstones. And uh, you're going to run into fun characters like the Great Kazoo and Mr. Slate. And, you know, they're going to be like the list of suspects. So I feel like the comedy of the Flintstones could work well with Ace Ventura. Um, and, and I like just setting it back then, putting Ace Ventura in it as a pet detective. And they're actually searching for a pet and not trying to murder gremlins. Again, throwing shade at Joe for that one still. So that's my movie. You won. All right, you already won that point. You don't have to go back on it. Um, <laughs> no, Joe won that movie. And I was oh, 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 yeah. that. That's why I keep Man. mentioning it. If I had won, I would that's not fair. have mentioned it. That's fair. Um, Is it though? All right. No, so, it wasn't fair that you won. All right, Joe. So, um, uh, Bam Bam is one of the standout characters from the Flintstones, and he doesn't seem to be in your movie. Are you going to kind of make it? He's not important, so you're just not going to include any anything similar to him. No, because I mean, he was wasn't he a later addition, anyways? Mine's like more. I don't want to say a prequel, but mine's like an early. Like we could franchise this. Okay. Yeah. So Bam Bam could be in Flintstones too. Of like, uh, like Bam Bam, like they're married now, and yeah. And then Johnny, is your Flintstones going to be in the tone of Ace, of Ace Ventura? Is it going to be a straight up comedy? Yeah, it's going to be a comedy. I mean, the show was a comedy back in the day, and Fred, like you know, being locked out of the house and pounding the door and yelling Wilma, like all that stuff fits well with Ace Ventura as far as comedy wise goes, especially live action. I I think they tried to do the comedy wrong in the nineties Flintstones movie. And that's kind of where it went wrong because I feel like they nailed the cast and they went with very, it was a kid's movie, but it was very adult humor. You had Halle Berry as Mrs. Slate and you had, or as whatever Slate and you had very sexual adult humor that was like, Oh, also it's a kid's movie. My movie's going to be Ace Ventura, fun comedy, have Ace in it. You're still going to have some, you know, good jokes and that because Ace Ventura, you know, it's going to be PG 13 comedy. That that's what my, my tone's going to be. Um, and it, I, I think it fits both, both worlds. Okay. Fair enough. All right. uh, so I'm going to let you battle it out. So I'll say first off, Halle Berry's character's name is Sharon Stone. Uh, second. My- <laughs> no, it's not. I will bet my entire <laughs> life that it is Sharon Stone. Okay. You're right, because it, on IMDb it listed her as Mrs. Stone or some Miss Stone. I thought it said Miss Slate. That makes sense. It's Sharon Stone. So, so my main thing with Johnny is, is the Great Kazoo sucks. He's the Scrappy Doo or the cousin Oliver of the Flintstones. And the and Scrappy Doo is awesome in He's terrible. the Scooby Doo movie. The live action Scooby Doo movie is no, great. No, I will no, always no. defend it. And do Scrappy Doo is great in it. Okay, right. I don't like Great Kazoo. And then my other thing is like you kind of seem like you're doing like a best of the Flintstones where like with Ace Ventura they go around and they see all these popular like Flintstones Hanna-Barbera characters. But that sounds exactly like Scoob that just came out like on VOD at the beginning of quarantine and that movie's fucking trash. Well, like it's just why, like too- Why'd you watch it? I didn't. I just heard enough people say it was Oh, trash so you I haven't can't... seen it. So don't tell I know me enough people trash. that watched it that were like, yeah, don't watch this. It's garbage. And hey, so that sounds exactly that like what your Hills movie Ninja, is. but it's great. 
and like that sounds exactly what your movie is of we're like oh we're just going around and like every major character that ever appeared on the Flintstones is going to cameo. And I'm like, I don't care about that. I don't want to. Yeah. Because, because no one gives a shit about the Flintstones anymore. No one, not one person in the world cares about the Flintstones. So so why would you waste half your movie packing cameos with characters? People don't care about then because they're going to be played by fun people and they're still fun characters. So when you bring them to live action, you can waste all of the characters. We're not setting up for a franchise for a series that is long dead. No one cares about the Flintstones. No one cared about it in the 90s when that movie actually came out. And no one cares about it today. Like Scooby-Doo at least is still on TV. They keep rebooting it year after year after year. There's no new version of the Flintstones. So you just there pitched your you rom but you No, but you just pitched your franchise starter for a movie that no one cares about and no one will see like and like Bobby said like so mine will have all the classic characters I didn't cast everyone because half of them are babies but you'll still have Bam Bam and you know all the kids and everything and you'll still have those interactions but your movie is like oh we're gonna take away basically the fun characters and we're gonna have it a rom-com so it's not a straight-up comedy and it's not a romance movie, obviously, but we're going to have a rom-com of characters you do not care about. The people who like the Flintstones are too old to care about your movie. And anyone young enough to actually go to the movies now, especially after coronavirus, when it's probably going to be mainly younger people, not one person is going to go see your stupid movie because it sounds right. terrible. I had the idea of doing a rom-com and then I was like, you know, it's a it's an idea because it's maybe the only movie that fits the rule in terms of Fred and Wilma falling in love or Barney and Betty falling in love. But like not one person in the world cares about that movie, including me. But the thing with the Flintstones is it's basically a remake of the Honeymooners set in like caveman days with dinosaurs and shit. So my movie, I essentially yeah, that just show wrote- holds up very well. Well, and all Boiler I'm saying word, is I just not. wrote a rom-com and then put it in the skin of the Flintstones. All right. Um, I've heard enough of some of your arguments here, but can you get, can you each give me just like a 15 second pitch on your Fred and why he is a good lead for your movie? All right, I, I can start. If uh... So basically Johnny says no one wants to see my movie uh, except, and, but my thing is it's a rom-com women like Carl Urban guys like Carl Urban. He's attractive. He can play dumb. We've seen it in, at, when he played scourge in Thor Ragnarok, but he can also be a guy that's believable as a caveman. And so he can be dumb, but he can be funny. And he also looks kind of like a caveman. And that's my pitch for Carl uh, Urban as Fred. All right. And Johnny. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've seen shameless, but Steve Howie is incredible as Kevin on that show. He's a, like a, Big dude, he looks like Fred Flintstone if you put him in that gear. And he plays the, like, very dumb lead character very well, where, like, he thinks everything he's saying is correct, but really it's kind of just wrong. And him and Charlie Day would have an amazing chemistry together. Um, and and he just fits the role of, of, of Fred well. He can yell, he's, you know a big dude and he's funny and he's not Carl Urban. Who's like five foot five. I don't All think right. that's accurate. Uh, I, he's not, I just he's guess. Not five, five, but he's probably not wrong. 
but uh, I, I'm not going to take that into consideration. But um, <laughs> so actually, you know, what's odd is um, Steve Howie. I know most from a show that I would have never watched uh, without my wife, which is uh, the Reba show. Um, and he was like the dumb boyfriend in that. And honestly, See, like, like, that's that, that is perfect for Fred Flintstone. So I think Johnny won my cast. Um, I was trying to hear your pitches because I didn't know how Carl Urban would fit. I already know how Steve Howie would fit, but I wanted to hear that Carl Urban and that did not sell me. Um, so I think Johnny won the cast. Um, as far as use of the rule, that was a little bit of a toss up because I don't necessarily love Ace Ventura, the way Johnny pitched it, but I can see him fitting into the Flintstones. So I can see that tone working. I can see him working with them to find a dinosaur. Um, and their pet. Right. And their pet. And honestly, I can, it came down to just the pitch of which movie I would rather see. And honestly, I don't know if I would want to see a romantic comedy of the Flintstones. I don't know if I want to see them without the kids, which are, pretty much a main part of why a lot of people love those uh, that show and those movies. At least that's what I love. I love Bam Bam. I think he's my favorite character. Um, so not including him was kind of a, uh, you know, that was a downside for me. Um, so honestly, I'm going to give this to Johnny and he's going to go up four to two. Right. I think we yeah, have some I, live comments. I, we? I needed that. Yeah. Go yeah. to live comments. Yeah, let's let's see some comments. Was it no cable classic? Says Angelica. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, if any way you're no cable, yeah, hey, you're the Flint- all, all the time. When I was a kid, I watched the Flintstones, but there's not even reruns of it anymore. Like that show is dead uh, and buried. Oh, what's that channel? It's on a channel. But I love my girlfriend, so thank you. Huh. <laughs> I mean, Hugh Grant, yeah, he's a classic, but I honestly... Hugh Grant as Fred would have been a better choice because Carl Urban was bad. I would have cast him as Barney. I would have put him as Barney. Hugh Jackman? I mean, Hugh Grant? Hugh Grant, yeah, I would have put Hugh Grant as Barney. Because he's blonde? I I just think he fits, yeah, the look, and just I think he can play that. But, uh, yeah, no, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, so what was the score you said? Two, uh, two, baby. Johnny is up, yeah, and Joe make a comeback. Yeah, yeah so Joe, Joe might make worst, a comeback. I got some of my worst ones here. So does Johnny, apparently, based on what he's saying. All right, so um, I think I'll go with X-Men, which is dangerous because I changed that one in some ways that might piss people off. But Don't you know, even worry. I, I'm going to be honest here. This could go either way. I'm going to go. Alex is not our judge. All right. So this sounds interesting because this was. I think you used the same rule I did, but I don't think you took (laughs) out the same person. Um, When you said Alex is not our judge, I'm like, oh, why would that matter? Oh, we used the same rule. So uh, this was actually one of the ones I was looking forward to the most. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, I'll give you a quick rundown. Um, X Men was released in the year 2000. It received an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is fair. Uh, it was directed by Brian Singer, ouch, um, and stars Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Famke Jensen, Ian McKellen, Anna Paquin, Halle Berry, James Marsden, Rebecca Romaine, and Ray Park. Um, and yeah, so Psychic Professor, Professor Xavier uh, leads a school of skilled mutants called X-Men. 
um, a peacekeeping force to safeguard the world against a race of genetically mutated humans known as Homo sapiens superior. However, Magneto, a mutant with powerful magnetic charge, has also begun to organize a team to strike first against what he believes is to be a threat from humanity. When he kidnaps Rogue from the X-Men's compound, Xavier and his forces must rescue her, even as they continue to vie with Magneto's um, Magneto for the fearsomely strong mutant Wolverine. Both Xavier and Magneto also have to con- contend with Senator Kelly, a heartless political leader who wants to, the solution against mutants on both sides. Uh, so let's hear your pitch, Joe. All right. So I'm just going to start with uh, my director is Jordan Peele. My Professor X is going to be played by Jeremy Irons. My Magneto is going to be played by B.D. Wong, who is in Jurassic Park, Law and Order, S- and Law and Order SVU. And I'll get more on that casting choice later. Can you repeat my that real quick. You broke up on my end. B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong. Wong is my Magneto. Um, my Cyclops is uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He was in uh, He was in Us. He was in Watchmen. Uh, he was in uh, Aquaman as well. My Wolverine is Jackie Earl Haley, who played Rorschach in, Watch- in the Watchmen movie. My Jean Grey is Natalie Dormer from Game of Thrones. My Storm is Lupita Nyong'o from Us and Black Panther and uh, 12 Years a Slave. My Rogue is Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. And my Senator Kelly is Bradley Whitford from Get Out, Billy Madison, and The West Wing. This comes to my rule because my Mystique, I cast WWE Hall of Famer Lita as Mystique. <laughs> So fits fits well, Joe. Fits well in a Jordan Peele movie. Eh, why not? So the movie opens in China on June 4th, 1989. We see the Chinese military suppress Tiananmen Square protests, and we are focused on a 29-year-old man who gets out. The next day, tanks are leaving Tiananmen Square. The same man is carrying <laughs> groceries and watches the tanks roll up. <laughs> he runs out and the tanks stop. Not by their choice, they literally can't move. This man is the uh, man known as Tank Man from the famous like Times uh, Times Magazine uh, picture. A group of men come by and carry away the man as he is screaming in Chinese that he can stop them. In upstate New York, a bald man in his 40s takes off what comic book fans will recognize as Cerebro. The Chinese man sees the bald man in front of him and he tells him to come to America as soon as he can. He will now be in danger and he will have arrangements made and ready in his apartment. Cut to the not-too-distant future. The Chinese man we now know as Magneto and the bald one we now as Professor X are present at Senator Kelly's, annou- Senator Kelly's announcement of the Mutant Registration Act. Many people are protesting and holding signs that read Mutant Lives Matter. Magneto tells Professor X that the Mutant Registration Act will just make it easier for the government to round them up and kill them all. The overall plot of my movie is generally the same. Uh, with modern-day politics infused. Mutants are harassed by police. People in Hollywood are too afraid to work with known mutants, and depictions of mutants are generally derogatory. Uh, And Magneto is trying to turn everyone in Washington into a mutant with radiation technology, using Senator Kelly as his first test subject, and the X-Men are trying to stop him wearing their signature comic-accurate costumes. And I'll say the basic reason I changed Magneto from a Holocaust survivor to someone who was there at Tiananmen Square is basically uh, Magneto, if he was, say, 12 at the beginning of the Holocaust, would now have to be, like, 92 years old. And I think Marvel, at some point, is going to have to address that this isn't exactly believable. And I don't know if it's necessarily... necessarily 
um, matters what atrocity Magneto was present at or a part of. It's more matter. It matters more that he has seen humanity tear itself apart in the worst possible way. And so that is why I changed Magneto's backstory. Also, Joe changed it because that was my idea. Joe and I <laughs> did StreamYard calls every week during quarantine, and I pitched that in whatever we were talking about, and he stole it from me. But a good idea. So quick question, Joe. Uh, by chance, do you watch John Campia? I mean, not often and not regularly. Okay. Uh, he He's pitched something uh, similar as far as big yeah. news. If I stole, I didn't even realize I stole this from Johnny, but if he's saying I did, I might have. Yeah. I don't know. Joe and right. I talked about X-Men, and I think maybe maybe it wasn't with you, but I thought it was because we were talking about X-Men one time when we were basically doing like the top ten lists, and uh and we were talking about Magneto not he can't be the Holocaust anymore, and we brought up Tinnaman Square. So like I it was more of just both of our ideas and we Got were it. talking about it. But All right. Uh, so regardless, that was just something that came up. That's not going to really affect the ruling, but uh, I just thought it was funny. Uh, so, Johnny, let's hear your pitch for X-Men. All right. So, again, Joe and I have the same rule, um, but I used mine better. So, first of all, my cast for the X-Men is way better than Joe's because I'm going with Wolverine. is going to be played by Pedro Pascal, who is the Mandalorian um, he's been in a bunch of stuff. I feel like he fits the the role of uh, of Wolverine well. My rogue is going to be Olivia Cook. She was in uh, Bates Motel and Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. She is an, uh, is a fantastic actress. My Professor X is someone who is charismatic and who has experience uh, playing a character in a wheelchair, at least temporarily. That's Tom Cavanaugh from The Flash, and he was in Scrubs. Um, my Jean Grey. That's going to be Allison Williams from Get Out. Um, and my Cyclops is going to be Miles Teller from Whiplash. Now, here's where my movie gets a little strange. My Magneto, WWE Hall of Famer, 1980s Bobby the Brain Heenan, the best manager of all time in WWE, WWF, whatever you want to call it. He's the best manager ever. My Mystique, WWE Hall of Famer, 2000s Lita. Joe and I use the same person. <laughs> my my saber tooth, WWE Hall of Famer, Macho Man Randy Savage. We're gonna throw 1990s Randy Savage in there. And my toad, WWE Hall of Famer, Drew Carey. So we're throwing in a celebrity what? wing. <laughs> so all my villains are WWE Hall of Famers. My director is Stephen Merchant. He was in Logan, but he just directed Fighting With My Family, which is a very good, fun wrestling movie. I don't have anything written for this movie. X-Men, Jean Grey, she finds Wolverine. We're going to go with pretty much the same plot. We're not going to have Mutant Lives Matter signs on it, even though I understand what Joe did, because originally, basically, mutants were, you know, the identity in the comics of black people going through things so i get what joe did but mine is gonna just be more action than the original one it's gonna be a fun movie better acting because some of those you know casting doesn't exactly hold up but the bad guys are gonna actually be able to fight people and we're gonna have pedro pascal fight Sabretooth, which is freaking randy savage 
It's going to be like the scene from Spider Man with Bone Saw all over. Ready? Bone Saw. It's going to be Bone. But it's going to be Saber Tooth. That's really all he's going to say. He's basically modern day Vin Diesel. Um, Mystique as Lita. She can kick ass. She's going to also fight Wolverine. She can change into anything she wants. You know, you've got three minutes. So that's you know Bone Saw. He's great. Anyway, and Magneto, Bobby the Brain Heenan, best talker in the history of WWE. He is Magneto, great talker. He's basically a manager. Even though he's the most powerful guy, he recruits everyone. So the Brain, you know, look him up. He's been the manager of every single great Andre the Giant, you know, everyone. Look him up. He's the best. He's Magneto. He recruits all these other wrestlers who are mutants, including Drew Carey as Toad, because that shit's funny. That was Ray Park in the original. He doesn't really talk. He gets struck by lightning. Totally forgot to cast Storm. But anyway, that's Zendaya in my movie. So that, um, you know, that's that's my movie. Forgot Haley Berry as Storm existed. So Zendaya, <laughs> best Storm available. Do you, do you know what happens when a Toad gets struck by lightning? The same, same thing, thing that happens to everything else. else. See, but mine is going to be, what do you call it when Batman skips church? Christian Bale. <laughs> well done. That doesn't, that doesn't she's strikes him with lightning. That doesn't make sense at all for X-Men unless you're casting freaking Maggie Gyllenhaal or something. But, uh, all right. So, before we get into my questions, it looks like we have a new live chat. Let's see what we got. Why do we have to look at the live chat now? Why can't we look at the live chat when you like have already decided on your If ruling? it's a good comment for me, show it. I, it's not going to affect me. Despite oh, mostly, yeah. I've only let dead people. I mean, you know Lita, what? But, yeah. you know, and Drew Carey. We agreed yep. that that was allowed. Um, so that's not really affecting my ruling. Um, yeah, uh, Alex yeah. said Johnny wins despite mostly booking dead WWE yeah. Hall of Famers. Yeah, thanks for clarifying for podcast listeners there. But um, um, I don't really have many questions. Uh, I just How? want to fight it out. <laughs> How do you? <laughs> I do not have questions. <laughs> I, I, I have questions, but I really don't think they'll help me. So I just want to see you guys fight it out and argue against each other at this point and defend your choices. How is Here's your movie anything but like an SNL skit? Because first of all, you guys hate on SNL skits. SNL sucks. I get it. But like you guys hate on them every week. I feel like things are getting called SNL skits. Let's lay off <laughs> SNL. I feel all like right? you're the one we need to try to get them to like promote us. No, it's all usually Bobby. And now Joe is attacking them. Our new now, sponsor, SNL. Here's my, here's my only problem with Joe's movie in terms of, you know, the rule used at least I went all out and cast okay. every fucking I, I WWE say. Hall of Famer. Joe basically did what I did with Mortal Kombat last week and cast, or whatever week, two no, weeks ago, I, and I, was just like, oh, I'm going to put Lita, the WWE Hall of Famer, as Mystique, who says maybe one line in the movie. And first of all, Lita can't act. So in my movie, she is not going to say any lines. She's just going to kick ass as Mystique. But... I didn't want to only use her because I thought that was actually a good person to play her um, as far as like the original X-Men movie portrayed her. So I went with like real WWE Hall of Famers. You totally chickened out of this rule. 
How? The movie wasn't cast half your cast as the WWE Hall of Famers cast. And I was going to say, my one thing I was going to do was Sabretooth is fucking... Sabretooth, Toad, and Mystique are essentially all the same character Saber in that movie. Tooth. They all show up and they fight somebody. So I was going to cut Sabretooth and Toad and Mystique is just Magneto and then Mystique shows up and fights people. And so anytime Sabretooth shows up in my movie, it's Mystique. Anytime Toad shows up, it's Mystique. Yeah, so also, Mystique was going to have a bigger you... role in my movie. Mystique is going to have a bigger role, but every time Mystique fights, she changes into a different person. So, like, cool, but, like, you cast you cast your rule as one character that half the, the time is going, to be play, is going to be played by different actors because, first of all, minimal, minimal role. Second of all, I expanded that, the role. that minimal role changes into different people, and, like, Lita is not going to be, like, dressed as your weird ass Wolverine right. choice that I don't remember. But other than that, gotta say Drew Carey is toad, man. That's terrible. He killed it. Johnny, I love Drew Carey. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't press that point. But uh so, <laughs> <laughs> so really quick, um Johnny, so with those being your villains, what's the tone of your movie? Is it a straight up action movie? Is it does mm-hmm. it have the themes of X-Men in it? Like what what are you going for with that movie? I'm just going for casting WWE Hall of Famers <laughs> in right. my movie. Okay, I was so, going to say. What we're going to do with right. it okay. is. Okay. I got can I win or can I make another point? Based on that answer, you don't have to. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree. So, That's why I was happy Joe and X-Men. We got to right. keep this thing a little close. Yeah, no. Uh, Joe blew that out of the water for me because Johnny completely blew his pitch for X-Men. Because honestly, yeah. you need to have you need to have some type of political or social commentary in the movie with which Joe kept. Um, that's kind of the basis for X-Men. Uh, the bad guys for X-Men cannot just be WWE hall of famers throughout because you cannot, you cannot have Magneto who is supposed to be like a mental match. For be people. the best talker in WWE history. But Look at Bobby the brain, baby. Joe is not just a talker. He, uh, yeah, he is. He, and he can control metal. Sorry. Bobby Heenan can put his arm up. He's well, capable of that. You know what? Johnny, you lost it. I did not think that I was going to win that, so I just had to be passionate about it. And <laughs> I, I, I didn't even write a pitch because I was like, this is the last rule and the last movie I have, <laughs> and there's nothing. I was going to do x-men but cast every person and only have you know how like wolverine fights in the cage at the beginning of the movie i was gonna have that just be bone saw and just cast randy <laughs> savage as that but yeah. i felt like that was chickening out but like i was like you know what screw it i'm just casting as many wwe people as i can <laughs> no you know what i was honestly most looking forward to your pitch of this movie and you you highly disappointed me. So can you guys uh, like vamp back no and forth? Because I've had to pee for the last fucking Joe, hour. Go so. pee. Go Joe's pee. drinking beer. He has to pee. We'll, we'll I mean, the, the the thing about this was I was excited to like pick X Men, and last week I was like, "Ooh, let's do X Men." Then we got down to the rules, and I was like, "There's not one good rule to use for X Men where I can do a serious cast." Yeah, unless you made it a '70s movie or something, which made the effects bad, which which made it a problem, like Ghost Rider was. So, like, yeah, I either had to make Ghost, I either had to make X Men 
a rom-com, which I decided against because I was very close. On love, that. love triangle between Wolverine, Cyclops, and uh, yeah, the yeah. worst part of the right. original one. I was exactly. like, no, yeah. Um, I either had to do that or basically, I don't know. There was nothing else I could do. I, I, um, I liked my battle royale resurrector director's career, and there was no one I felt really fit with X Men as far as resurrecting. So I'm like, hey. We're just going to go weird with it. And and Joe basically did the same thing. So here's yeah. my problem. Now, Joe's not in the room. I'm going to go next. I'm going to go small soldiers because, honestly, Joe might win that. And then it's going to come down to Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I want to make it close. And that one I think I actually have a chance at. But Joe and I might have used the same rule, which would completely – screw me because if joe and i use the same rule for a creature of the black lagoon we pick the same fucking thing oh we, we so and we probably did but well, that would let's be see. really interesting because honestly it's been fun to see you guys pitch very different movies in the first few weeks but to see you guys pitch the same concept has been really interesting. So I kind of yeah, I'm sure that. I'm sure that's fun for you. It's less oh. fun when you're trying to fight Literally only <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is the only thing you can fight for one movie. Right. So next I lost deservedly. I understand that. I wanted to be just, I just wanted to be loud because that made my arguments stronger. I felt so my next pitch is going to be small soldiers, but we're going to start with Joe. All right. So let me get to my uh, description of the movie. Can't wait to see what you guys talked about. Hmm. you'll see later we just talk shit about you the whole time yeah, i would do the same i talk shit about myself all the time all right that's not cool you should be positive <laughs> <laughs> so small soldiers is our second joe dante movie uh, hell yeah it received a 48 percent on rotten tomatoes which low little low for me i mean i love very low 100 percent. it's our percent it starred Gregory Smith, Kirsten Dunst, Phil Hartman, Tommy Lee Jones, David Cross, Kevin Dunn, and Frank Langella, as well as many others for that voice cast. Um, when teenager Alan buys a set of Commando Elite action figures, he's unaware that they have been programmed with military technology. The toys, including leader Chip, played by Tommy Lee Jones, spring to life and start taking their directives seriously, beginning by killing their enemies, the toy Gar- Gorgonites. But Archer, Frank Langella, and his Gorgonites won't go down without a fight. Alan gets caught in the middle of the war, as does his neighbor and crush, Kirsty, played by Kristen, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst, which is a very difficult name to say after drinking some beer. Uh, so let's hear your pitches. Apparently not after drinking some bourbon, though. Kirsten Dunst. Joe, let's hear it. All right, so the rule I'm using, which is going to narrow down what we do for uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, I'm resurrecting a director's career, and I am, and the director oh, I chose God. is Chris Columbus, uh, who did Home Alone, and he did the first two Harry Potters. He wrote Gremlins. I thought about resurrecting his career to come back and direct Gremlins, the movie he originally wrote, but he's doing this. Good choice. So, Bad so my, choice. So my cast is uh, Alan Abernathy. Uh, is going to be played by Noah Jupe. Jupe, I'm not sure. He was in Ford vs. Ferrari, A Quiet Place, and Honey Boy. Yeah, Noah uh, Jupe. 
Or and my Christy Frimple, who was originally played by Kirsten Dunst, is now played by Daphne Keene, who was in Logan. And my Stuart Abernathy, who uh, was originally played by Kevin Dunn, is now going to be played by Jim Gaffigan. Uh, and so my Commando Elite, this is my voice cast, and I think you'll realize what I did. My Chip Hazard is going to be voiced by Harrison Ford. Uh, my Brick Bazooka is going to be voiced by Arnold Schwarzenegger. My Nick Nitro is going to be voiced by Sylvester Stallone. My Kip Killigan is going to be voiced by Bruce Willis. My Butch Meat Hook is going to be voiced by Wesley Snipes. My Link Static is going to be voiced by Michael Bean. And my Gorgonites, my Archer is going to be voiced by Dwayne Johnson. My Insaniac is going to be voiced by Tom Cruise. My Punch It is going to be voiced by Gerard Butler. My Ocula is going to be Daniel Craig. Slam Fist is Vin Diesel. And Scratch It is Jason Statham. So Ocula doesn't talk. Which one was Vin Diesel? Daniel Craig. Which one was uh, (laughs) was talking Ocula? (laughs) Vin Diesel is Slam Fist. You were both throwing different names at me. But my Ocula can talk. I'm Joe, rebooting it now. We agree on one thing. Slam fist. Vin So I said, basically, it's the same plot as the first one, except uh, since kids care more about apps and games and physical toys and superheroes are a big thing, uh, the toy company makes souped up toys with superpowers, but go to extreme. Dream. Each of the Gorgonites has a superpower, and the Commando Elite are all super soldier toys. They, uh, some of the toys can sprint extremely fast, some can lift up to 100 pounds, uh, they can see farther and hear better than um, other toys. So basically, it's like they're all the Commando Elite are all super soldiers, but they're all, all the toy, they all have superpowers, but the toys aren't like, oh, I can like freeze things or I can like fly. It's all toy like powers that a toy could like feasibly have, but just like crank it up to 11. It's nothing like insane. Okay. Cool. That's it. Yeah. Same plot basically. Like it's the movie's perfect. huh? Yeah. You just got a, some, a lot of action stars. Yeah. This is like my last one. And I, I had been working for a while and I was just like, yeah. All right, Johnny, let's hear yours. <laughs> let's hear it. All right, so first we're gonna go Archer, Patrick Stewart. Wait, what's, ha- are we are we four to four now? No, it's or no, four we got one more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, four. we're good, we're good, we're good. Four, yeah, three. okay, okay. And we both picked the same thing, and I feel like we're both gonna have the same yeah, exact yeah, yeah. pitch. So okay, Archer, Patrick Stewart, Chip Hazard. Ian McKellen, Brick Bazooka, Keenan Thompson from SNL and a bunch of bunch of shit, Butch Meat Hook, great name. That's gonna be played by Sam Rockwell. Nick Nitro has to be fast talking, energetic. That's gonna be played by Tom Cruise. Slam Fist and Scratch It, both Vin Diesel. Great choice by Joe on that casting. We've had a lot of similarities this episode. Yeah. And my Insaniac is going to be played by ASAP Rocky. Um, also, my I'll go for my pitch, and then I'll say who my other person is. My, no, okay. We'll do pitch, then we'll do my last two. That'll make the most sense. Um, okay. I'm going to make the real Small Soldiers movie everybody wants to see. A flamboyant, a flamboyant toy designer works for a huge toy distributor, that is about to put out a line of revolutionary AI toys. Every character has a microchip with the character's origin and personality. 
something goes horribly wrong and the AI toys become way too lifelike overnight, right before the grand opening. Um, the soldier toys become killing machines, hunting for the Gorgonites. Little do the other toys know that the designer of the chip hazard toy and the archer toy put a backstory of star-crossed lovers into them. It's going to be a rom-com and it's going to be Romeo and Juliet meets small soldiers meets toy story. Also it's a musical and my flamboyant toy maker is going to be played by Billy Eichner. And my director is Kelly Asbury who did Shrek two and Romeo and Juliet. So my movie is going to be about chip and Archer falling in love and wanting to be with each other while the Gorgonites fight the soldier toys. And you're going to have great songs like take the organs from the Gorgons <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're, Were you on trooms when you wrote this. <laughs> no, I just wrote it a second ago and you're my gay cat lover. You're going to have classics like that. Right. So, yeah, so Bobby plays the ukulele and I started singing, take the organs from the Gorgons. So, <laughs> so that's my movie. Um, it's a rom-com, a, a gay toy rom-com between Patrick Stewart's Archer and Anne McKellen's Chip Hazard. And, uh, and that's what I did to toy soldiers. Small soldiers. What I oh. say, toy, toy soldiers. I, I was saying the Eminem song. Eminem song. Yeah, that'll be in my that'll be in my movie. Toy soldiers. That song. Yeah, Eminem not in this movie. Um, you don't know that. All right. Um, honestly, I get both your movies. For Joe's, I just want to know. So, what is going to differentiate this from the original? Because the original, even though some of us grew up loving it, was kind of a mediocre movie. Um, oh. It was kind of a love or hate as far as a lot of the critics go and it didn't do great. So why is this going to make it something that people want to go see? Um, yeah. So we'll start. my toys have superpower. Like when they take out people, it's like part of the, like the dumbness is like when they take out a person, it's like not believable because it's a little plastic toy. But when you see like the opening of like when they're, you see, I don't want to say commercial, but when they're, when the toy company guy that like designed these toys is showing this to the like marketing and executives of the toy company of like, Hey, these are what the toys can do of like, and you see the toy like bench pressing like two forty five pound weights. <laughs> and you can see the toy sprint across the fucking desk at like a top speed. And so when they take out people, you're like, when they, it's believable now. Yeah. So believable, Joe. So believable. You made it. So you got believable. your toys singing in a rom-com about so take the organs from the Gorgon. <laughs> So Johnny, what type of music is in this movie? And who are like trolls? I don't know. It's the, I'm shooting for the audience of of like Nomeo and Julia and trolls, like you know, kids and stuff. It's gonna be it's gonna be teaching kids about gay love, which is important <laughs> in this country, and uh, also about toys, which you know, it'll sell a bunch of toys. Like that's that's gonna be cool. It'll make not money. south it'll of the Mason Dixon line. I don't know what that means, but like, fuck that. Who gives a shit about the <laughs> South? Okay. So, um, you know, it's just going to be like, you know, this movie has characters named Butch Meat Hook. All right. <laughs> like this is a very gay movie. And I feel like it didn't embrace that in the original and it should have. And now I'm doing that. Like we're, <laughs> we're brick bazooka, Butch Meat Hook. These are all porn star names. So we're going <laughs> But we're going to make that a kid's movie. So let me get away from that point real quick. 
And um, we're <laughs> okay. all right. Okay. Serious oh. moment. All right. Wait. Take the organs from the gorgons. <laughs> all right. We need to drink on every episode. Um, Best original song. Yeah. I made this movie Oscar so, bait. To be completely honest, I think this is the most drunk that all three of us have been on any episode of this <laughs> so far. I don't, um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> to be honest, but I, but really, so I no. Said, this is just the least <laughs> amount of work I put into a movie. This yeah, same. I didn't know. Like, I, what am I, I had to do every single. I did every single pitch today. So yeah. when I get to these, I'm just like, I finished this at 6 p.m. And yeah, we no. went on at 7. So Johnny, I got to make it interesting. Johnny, you know what? You know, before we get, we do have a live comment, I want to yeah. say. Right. Damn right. ASAP Rocky in a musical, bench pressing toy. <laughs> <laughs> revolutionary. I agree. Goddamn right. Is a rev- my beautiful girlfriend, Angelica, and she is damn no, right about this no podcast. this is a random person watching <laughs> not know any of us and okay she doesn't know <laughs> us but she's super sexy and she should date me <laughs> but um I, I did not want to do this because this makes this a lot less interesting but my go-to rule so i said there was one movie and one rule going into this pitch that was kind of my go-to and it was to make a musical love story between Chip and Archer. <laughs> that can't be true. It is. That can't be right. That can't no. be true. I call shenanigans. And honestly, I don't want to see a reimagining of toy soldiers or small soldiers as it is. Um, it doesn't need to be done. There's really but no. What if they bench press weights? <laughs> they bench and, press. Ru- and run across a desk. So. Uh, <laughs> So what makes this interesting, I am giving this point to Johnny. So Johnny did win this week, but you know what this does? We have not introduced our rules yet for when you win by more than one point. So when you win by more than one point, you get to replace one of your rules, right? Is that how yeah, we... The net, want me to explain it? Or you, yeah, you can go ahead if you want to do it. Okay, so if someone wins by more than one point, the next time those two people face off, the winner gets a repeat or a repeat or you could call it a replace a rule so we play with nine rules so essentially the next time johnny and i face off if he beats me on the next round say like this time how i was basically left with small soldiers and um or he was left with say small soldiers and make it a rom-com if he's like i can't really make small soldiers a rom-com you know what i'm gonna do I'm going to take that rule away and he has to replace it then with one of the eight other rules. So he could have uh, cast Ace Ventura in it. He could have put a WWE Hall of Famer as one of the voice actors. He could have put a twist ending, which is what we're both going to do with Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, that's kind of how it works. And so each time you win by more than five, you get a replacer rule. And so essentially all I'm doing now is trying as hard as I can not to give Johnny a repeat or replace a rule for the next time we face off when we battle the same movie for Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, so Joe is trying to stop Johnny from having an advantage next time they play. Uh, so regardless of whether Johnny wins or not, this is going to be interesting. So yeah, Because we pitched the same movie, and I'm going to give Bobby, you know that thing we talked about before uh, Johnny came on? That's what I did. Yeah, no, I got it. Yep, all right. Yep, so... Uh, oh, we have another... Uh, colluding. 
We have another uh, live comment, I think. Need a rule where the movie is tied to Fast and Furious franchise. You know what? Honestly, hey, I don't know. Yeah. Cowards. That, that is it. That is one of our options, and it may be a rule next week. That's that's one of our options. It's called make the movie suck. <laughs> Burn it's notice, also, Alex. It's also okay, so. called cast Vin Diesel in every movie called John. I have done that so far. I have cast oh. him in every movie. But no, oh, every week, once every a week. week, not every movie. Nope, every movie. You just have—I <laughs> just haven't mentioned him in every movie. But he has been in all my movies. You right, know, he so, needs to work. All right. Do you want to explain Creature from the Black Lagoon? Yep, I got it. So, Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954 received an 85 percent from Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it was directed by Jack Arnold and starred Richard Richard Carlson, Julie Adams, Richard Denning, Antonio Moreno. Nestor Paiva and Whit Bessel. Uh, remnants from a mysterious animal have come to light in a remote jungle, and a group of scientists intend to determine um, if the find is an, an anomaly or evidence of an undiscovered beast. To accomplish the goal, their goal, the scientists must brave the most perilous pieces of South Af- South America has to offer. But the terrain is nothing compared to the danger posed by an otherworldly being that endangers their work and their lives. So let's. Right. Hear I'll, your- I'll go first because I don't want to sound like I'm copying Johnny. Go for it. So my director is John Krasinski. My doctor, oh, David. Okay, Lee. you've lost me. Okay, wow, we have way different movies. Hell oh, okay. yeah! My director is my uh, doctor. David Reed is John Krasinski. My Kay Lawrence is Emily Blunt. My doctor, Carl Maya, is Antonio Banderas. My doctor, Mark Williams, is George Clooney. My Lucas, the boat driver, is Jamin Hansu. And the mysterious British man, John, is played by Ewan McGregor. Deep in a heavily wooded area of the Everglades, Dr. Carl Maya and his two researchers are out at night studying an area locals refer to as the Black Lagoon. Out of nowhere, their boat is attacked and the doctor's two researchers disappear into the water below. Dr. Maya tries to find his friends, but is unsuccessful and goes off into the night. Believing it to be a giant alligator, he tells his former student and friend, Dr. David Reed, about what happened, and he wants to launch an expedition looking for his two friends. On the adventure are the two doctors, uh, David Reed's fiance Kay, and their friend, Dr. Mark Williams. Uh, the man renting the riverboats, a strange old man named Lucas, asks if it's all right if someone else joins them. They are fine with it, and the weird British man named John joins them. During the expedition, Lucas and Dr. Williams both disappear after being attacked by the creature. They soon find themselves being stalked by a large, mysterious green creature. The group separates on an area of dry land. One group spots it, and shots are heard. The mysterious John runs over and stops them. They ask why, and this is where my rule comes in, because I am using the rule of a twist ending. He tells them that his name is John Constantine, and this is his friend Alec Holland, who they may know better as the Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing then tells them... Swamp Thing then talks to them, saying he is tired of people invading a swamp, and they better leave. Dr. Maya asks about those who disappeared, and Swamp Thing uses his powers and lifts up what look like four moss-covered baskets. As they unwind, it's revealed the four are inside, and they begin to cough up water as they all wake up. And that is my pitch for Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, interesting, interesting. Let's hear Johnny's pitch for a very different movie, apparently. A very different movie because it's such an obvious twist, Joe, and you mess it up. I'll start with my cast, but it might give away my twist. The creature, he's going to be played by Doug Jones. My Carl Maya, that's going to be played by 
Carl Maya, sorry, Ron Perlman. My David Reed is going to be played by Daniel Radcliffe, um, who I think is a good actor, and I want to see him do more stuff. Kay Lawrence is going to be played by Mia Wasikowski, who is in a little movie called Crimson Peak, directed by my director, Guillermo del Toro. So here's my pitch. In 1962, a group of marine biologists are sent to the Amazon to find evidence of a strange humanoid creature rumored to dwell in the river. They discover shedded shedded skin of a reptilian beast above the river. They just, sorry. They discover shedded skin of a reptilian beast about the size of a man. There we go. Carl Maya, played by Ron Perlman, brings the skin to a nearby research center uh, where he is told the legend of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Some say it is a deadly beast, and other uh, legends tell of it as a god. Back at the biologist camp, the creature from the Black Lagoon emerges and kidnaps Kay Lawrence while she is sleeping. Well, at first she is scared. Um, she eventually realizes the beast ne- means no harm until it is attacked by the rest of the biologists and soldiers searching for her. Now, here's my rule. I'm adding a twist to the end. Obviously, Joe and I set that up. We both had a twist ending. The researchers managed to capture the creature. Carl says he knows the perfect man to transport the creature back to America for experiments and makes a phone call to Colonel Richard Strickland, played by Michael Shannon. The creature sheds his skin once again and goes from looking like a more prehistoric beast to looking like the creature from a shape of water or the shape of water, because this movie is a prequel to the shape of water. And that is my twist ending because the shape of water literally is about the creature from the black lagoon getting captured by Americans. So that's my twist. That's where it's going to lead to at the end. He's not going to look like the creature from the black lagoon. I mean, I mean, he's going to look like the creature from black lagoon, most of the movie. And then at the end, during the twist after the Michael Shannon reveal, it will shed its skin to look like the beast from the shape of water. So it's not super obvious throughout the whole movie. So that's my twist. Doug Jones plays good monsters. Joe made his a Swamp Thing movie, and I actually made mine about what The Shape of Water is. So let's hear it. Um, So what I want to hear from both of you is why, because you're both pitching the same rule, why does your twist ending add to the story of the creature from the Black Lagoon, and why does it need to be told in this way? Um, and also really quick before I get to that, actually, it looks like we have a live chat. What do we got? Um, Ooh, uh, Jennifer Mitchell, uh, does not happen to be related to anyone in this group says, I think yeah, she's my wife (laughs) (laughs) is doing a great job. And I happen to agree very highly. Uh, we also have Alex Gibson saying, Johnny, isn't it obvious twist a reason not to do it? Which is fair. I mean, it is know. kind of obvious. You may have to defend that. It's yet. obvious now. Okay, I'll go first. So, you, yeah. You, asked, you have a question to ask? I, so the question I asked before the live comments is, why does the live, or sorry, why does the twist add to the story we're telling? Um, because the creature from the black lagoon is a classic story, which has not been retold very often. Why does the twist add to the story? 
Okay, here here's my main reasoning. Because first of all, Swamp Thing lives in a and the creature from the Black Lagoon, the whole movie is about people going to the Amazon and hunting for the creature from the Black Lagoon, but that is in the Amazonian, you know, South American river. That's where it belongs. In the shape of water, they say that's exactly where they captured the creature that they're studying played by Doug Jones. Doug Jones is a better, you know, uh, monster actor than whoever the hell Joe cast. Don't I didn't cast anyone because uh, just throw a stunt person in there. Yeah, because he's bad. He threw a stunt person. What a what a shame. Can't even cast the obvious choice. Now, my movie might seem like the obvious twist, like because of the rule that we had to use. But going into the movie, it's not going to be promoted as anything to do with the shape of water. Like, and there's no reason to, because while the shape of water won best picture, it's not like that was some big moneymaker. Like, you know, they don't have to connect it. So promoting it, they're only going to promote it as this is the creature from the black lagoon, but universal is such a terrible, horrible company that they can't even reproduce like, like they can't make the universal monsters universe. So we're going to give up on that. There's going to be no more Tom Cruise's the mummy and all that garbage Dracula untold. And we're just going to say that like these movies, like this, like the creature from the black lagoon tie into movies that already exist. So maybe after it's done and people say, Oh wow. It's like the shape of water. More people will go see The Shape of Water because more people are going to see this movie and the people who saw The Shape of Water are going to go see this movie and maybe more people will be interested in the next like movies like this coming out, monster movies, because this is going to be a standalone monster movie that ties into a different movie at the end, but it's not going to try to bring in, you know, like Mr. Jack or Mr. Hyde and or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and all this crap in the invisible man. Like it's not going to bring in those things. So like, it's going to be more like the invisible man that came out like last year, but it's just going to tie into a different movie afterwards. It's not going to be obvious going into it because if you said Guillermo del Toro is doing um, creature from the black lagoon, you'd be like, Oh, that's perfect. He's already done the water dude in Hellboy, And he's done the water creature in the shape of water. Now this is like his third person. So like, I just felt like it was obvious for me because it just made sense because everything in the shape of water, if you actually know about the creature of the black lagoon actually kind of connects. Um, but it wouldn't be obvious to the main audience. Like, Oh, this will clearly be leading into the shape of water. It'll just feel like it's done movie. Okay. I get that. And that's actually, I mean, I, when I watched the, th- the shape of water, I kind of pictured that it was a creature from the black lagoon. So I get that. Um, so Joe, uh, what do you got? Why does your twist add to the movie? So my twist adds to the movie because it immediately, when you have the guy hop out and be like, this is my friend and he has an actual name of Alec Holland, it immediately humanizes Swamp Thing or the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's like this monster, this big threat that we're trying to get. And as soon as John Constantine hops out and he says, hey, this is my friend, like this is a guy I've been looking for, it immediately switches your opinion and how you view uh, this, like the creature, the being or the monster, however you want to refer to him in the movie. And so I think that's why that's why the twist matters. Okay. 
Hmm. So this is interesting since you both you both chose the same rule for multiple movies, which is very hard to judge. It makes it very difficult on my. I think part. you've had the worst, like um, not like you were the worst judge, but you've had the worst, like yeah, you've been dealt the worst hand as a judge. No, th- this this by far has been the hardest decision, um, at least throughout most of your pitches because you chose a lot of the same pitches. But uh, honestly, just the movie I would rather see. And the movie that I would watch as far as like, you know, it makes sense for the movie. It would maybe make a, a, a universe that could connect. Um, I think Johnny's actually works the best. Um, and I really don't know where else to go with this. I mean, the, the casts were the same to me. There really was nothing that separated it. Um, the pitches of the movie were very similar except for the twist. So as far as applying the rule, um, I honestly think the most interesting thing to me is to make that connected to the shape of water and to try to create some type of shared universe. Um, So really this was a, as even though it was difficult because you were pitching similar movies, um, there was only one that stood out and that was Johnny's. So I'm going to give it to him and I'm going to give him the six to uh, three victory. And uh, All right. boom, Joe has been defeated. And the Russian's been cut, yeah, sure. I must yeah. break you, except that makes me the Russian, yeah. I basically killed you. You're Apollo Creed, Apollo Creed, mm-hmm. yeah. There you cool. go, Bobby knew that quicker than me. <laughs> oh, you're Rocky, and I'm Ivan Drago. No, just because I don't have a bookshelf with toys behind me doesn't mean I own them, so you know, I'm good. All right. <laughs> Johnny looks behind him at his stuff. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was a really fun time. Um, I honestly think as a judge, that was way harder than the first time I did it um, because you guys picked a lot of the same, same rules. Um, and that's really difficult to do as a judge because you're just trying to nitpick at that point. So you're just kind of picture, you know, what is the best movie that you would want to see? And that happened to be Johnny for more, more often than that. Uh, So, yeah. So, you know, we got a really interesting thing coming up next time. Joe and Johnny face each other where Johnny gets an advantage. Yeah. I'm I'm not happy with that. I'm nervous about going against that, but. Alex texted me. He says, I feel like I saw the moment drunk Johnny took the wheel. (laughs) And I'm going to be honest. I feel like that was during. Hmm. Small, small, maybe small soldier. Small <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> soldiers is when we all got a little rally. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and including me. But you know what? I was keeping a level head, and honestly, I was just picking the movies that I would rather see. Um, and even with some slurred words and and some drunken pitches, I honestly oh. think movies. Uh, no one, you know, no one, but. Uh, I, I think Johnny won this week pretty handedly, uh, even with some pretty interesting pitches from both sides. Um, I am shocked by that because I had no time to do anything this weekend. My only day off was Saturday since like the last episode we did, and it was my friend's engagement party. So we were gone from like moment one that day. So the only time I had to work on this was Last night after work, when I got home at midnight, so I did maybe one pitch, and then I did everything this morning. So I started 
when I woke up and didn't finish till six. So I was like, oh boy, I'm going to get slaughtered by Joe because I didn't have any time to work on these. And I just, you know, I, I felt pretty confident in a few of them and I'm glad I'm just glad that Joe felt that some of these rules were very hard to do because yeah, I felt that way. There were some very difficult ones this week. Yeah. So, every, every single one of my movies, I was like, I'm okay with this pitch, but there was no pitch where I was like, I'm confident in it. Like this pitch is a winner. Like I'm happy with this. This is a great pitch where I've had like two or three in the past, but there were none this week. Yeah. Where I was, every single one. I was like, none of these are terrible, but they're all just like fine. All right, so um, really quick. So before we sign off here, I just want to let everyone know um, that our live stream for next week is going to be on Thursday at 7 o'clock if you guys want to join us and chime in live um, like we did this week. If you leave live comments, we'll read them aloud and we will respond as we go. Um, And just before we get going, I just want to hear really quick from each of you, what was your hardest movie uh, to pitch this week as far as your rule that you applied to it. Oh, ooh. Like I think the hardest one for me was probably Clue. Number one, like the pitch for myself, and because me and Johnny had the same movie, and I also feel like I can't really mess with the plot too much. And it just kind of is once you match Clue with Wes Anderson, like you're done. Like that's that's your pitch right there. And that Johnny had the same pitch as me. So I feel like that was the hardest overall yeah. pitch and yeah. the rule. That's fair. Johnny, I feel like the I feel like the easiest rule to pick with a movie was Clue. So Joe and I agree on that because that immediately was like, oh boy, I love a Wes Anderson Clue movie. I feel like the hardest movie to actually pitch was maybe a combination of the two of Gremlins and Small Soldiers because they are so similar. They're both Joe Dante. They're both about. One's about little gremlins coming and attacking people. And one's about little toy soldiers coming and attacking people. Like they're such similar movies that it was hard to differentiate them. It's in terms of pitching. So I, I think those are, were maybe the hardest. Um, but, but I, I, I was most proud of in terms of like what I came up with. Um, probably my battle Royale pitch. Or maybe my, um, I mean, I would say my clue pitch, but Joe and I did the same thing. So I, I think my battle royale, I was excited about actually pitching because I feel like that movie, out of all of mine, is the one I'd actually want to see. That and obviously Clue because Wes Anderson doing Clue is like such a home run. But okay. you know, yeah. that's kind of how I felt about my movies this week and the and the and the rules. Yeah. All right. Well, very cool. Uh, I agree. This was this was definitely my hardest week to judge. Um, even while I was listening to your episode zero, um, I consider this the hardest week. Um, but again, everyone, just please come by on next Thursday at seven o'clock and join us for our live stream. Um, and we will have another exciting episode of Movie Change Up. Um, but you know, I'm I'm Bobby Mitchell. I'm uh, Johnny Duke. I'm Joe Fricky. <laughs> we got to figure out that order. I'm Johnny yeah. Duke. And yeah, this not- is change up. And uh, yeah. yeah, feel free to come join us next week and uh, listen to our pitches. Bye, See bitches. You.